so uh, we have buns with us today. <laughs> so many buns. With you us took a today. note from my cookbook. I feel like I feel like I always try and Bring find food. some way to serve my cocktail with food, and I, you've done it. I honestly thought about it. I was like, <laughs> Katie would really enjoy if I had like maybe a little starter. Yeah. With, with my cocktail. And it's good because I'm really hungry today because I was stuck in traffic for five hours. Exactly. And we both have long stories tonight. So like. We're going to need some sustenance. I'll eat mine while you're talking and you can eat it while I'm talking and it'll be wonderful. It's going to be perfect. Um, but we're not here to talk about buns quite yet. No, we're not. <laughs> we're here to talk about herstory. All the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we're not historians. Absolutely not. No, <laughs> not at all. We do a lot of research and I would <sighs> say today I'm kind of professional level I, my person. Allie. So much research, both of us. So tonight. much research. Really, like, I did a lot of research this week. I was exhausted. <laughs> Sometimes it hurts. It just, it, <laughs> I was hurting. And yeah. then it's also, like, when you do someone big, like, one of the podcasts that I was listening to on my person, who you don't know who it is yet, they did almost five hours of coverage on her. Right. And they were like, it's so hard because we're still leaving out stuff. <laughs> yeah. And and it's just the way it is, like, with some of these amazing, like, banger-type yeah. people. Yeah. That's so what just, happens. Keep in mind when you listen to us that not only are we drunk, but also we only have a week to prepare. There are some people who have spent their lives researching these women. (laughs) So (laughs) this is like mid season. That's why we have our bangers lined up. It's like, we got to get over that hump. You know, we had two really cool women last week, but that not many people know of. So I know sometimes it's like, well, I don't know who they are. So I'm going to skip over that episode. I would not recommend that because last week's episode was so fun. And sister (laughs) told me that she actually found that she enjoys that more. And she thought really? she wouldn't. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Sister oh, cool. was like, I was like, oh, I'm not going to listen to the ones where I don't know the women. And then I started and I was like, oh my God, these women. Yeah. They're so, so cool. if I could promote myself a little more, Yeah, but you are busy making like homemade cinnamon buns. We oh, have cinnamon my God. buns on the table. Yep. And as Paul Hollywood says, you got to get that tight Swiss roll yeah. in there. Right. You know, you don't want it to but be But it also sloppy. has to be light and airy. Yes. It has to be tight roll. Oh God. Light and, and airy bun. But also a nice crumble. So you're busy. <laughs> Your hands are covered in sticky toffee and cinnamon sugar so you can't pick up your phone and google what these women look like so we're gonna get a little physical physical Allie, what does your woman look like? I already know who it is based off the cocktail. Okay, so I want to be very clear this is the first time this has ever happened in our entire three and a half years uh that Katie saw the cocktail (laughs) and knew who I was doing. So let me give you a physical description. She is a human person (laughs) with white skin, brown hair, and brown eyes. She wears a wide range of hairdos and outfits, but she's most famous for wearing a long white dress with her hair parted in the middle and two large buns on the side of her head. While this might be her most popular look, the one that's most discussed is definitely her red and bronze bikini. Mm -hmm. While this character has been drawn in cartoons, graphic 
graphic novels, and many more fan websites, the human that embodied her character is just as amazing and lovely, the one and only Carrie Fisher. (laughs) Who am I doing, Katie? Princess Leia. (laughs) Of course I am. Okay. So also, in terms of her looks, the hairstyle i wanted to bring this up now because i didn't know where to put it in the story george lucas says he saw in like a picture in a museum of these mexican revolutionary women who wore it like that and he was like well there's this war this revolution going in space some historians have been like well that's not exactly accurate but they (laughs) did say that there was a tribe of women in arizona who did wear the, the hopi tribe who did wear those buns to shirk off their femininity Oh. So either way, the buns are a sign of rebellion. Yes. And we're I love eating that. cinnamon buns to rebel here tonight. Perfect. <laughs> so, Katie, who are you doing? Oh, wait, don't tell me who you're doing. Okay. What does she look like? I don't know if I'm gonna guess. I haven't guessed anybody this um, season. Um, I'm also doing a very regal royal person. She has bright blue eyes, tall, white, poofy hair. She kind of has this very full face in her later years. In her younger years, she's like very thin, pale, has dark hair but in her later years um she's a little more full figured and her cheeks are really round and rosy like it look every picture of her she looks so flushed (laughs) and she's typically in these very elaborate royal robes or sometimes dressed in military gear atop of a horse she is wild and unfortunately even though she has done so much more than this and it's totally not true. A lot of people, when they picture her, picture a horse for other reasons. I am doing Catherine the Great. Oh, my The Empress of gosh. Russia. I know exactly who you're doing. <laughs> that is insane. I know. I'm very excited. It's such a crazy story. Like, it's unbelievable. So, which means we can't waste any time because we have two really big women to get to. Yeah, no time um, wasting. But the shenanigans will still be here. Yes, absolutely. So do you want to know what you're drinking? <laughs> I do. It looks fantastic and brunchy. So this cocktail is called Actually, She's Our Only Hope. <laughs> and it is coconut rum, so Malibu, but also rum chata. Ooh. And then pineapple juice, just blended over ice. Oh, I love And then that. you put two cherries strategically <laughs> on the side of the glass to look like, you know, Princess Leia Organa's buns. That is perfect. Well, cheers. cheers. Mm. Is this our first, like, pina colada? It's very pina colada I feel like we've danced around it, but we yeah. don't blend drinks a lot. Yeah, this is the real. Because it's annoying as hell. But it's so delicious. I love the ice chips. Mm. Oh, do you love hearing us chew, everybody? (laughs) (laughs) We're chewing. We're sniffling. I have a cold. (laughs) Everything's going to be lovely this evening. Mm. Lots of cuts. Lots of fun. I love it. Mm. So I guess tell me what you know (laughs) about Princess Leia. Okay. So I know that she was played by Carrie Fisher. (laughs) I know that... She is beloved by sci-fi fans. She, um, and as far as like her character goes, um, I know that she's Luke Skywalker's sister, which like, they don't really know at the beginning of the movie. That's why it's weird that they have like crushy, crushy vibes on each other. Um, but she ends up getting with like Han Solo. And I know that her mom is Padme Amidala and her father is Darth Vader and her and Luke are twins, right? Yes. 
and Padme dies giving birth to them. Yes. But that's like, you know, it's been a really long time since I've seen any sort of Star Wars shenanigans. So I don't remember too much. Um, But yeah, but that's what I remember. (laughs) Well, this is a long time coming because Misty and I have communicated about Star Wars a lot. Um, Moltar 24 also requested Princess Leia. And this, in 11 seasons, is our first Star Wars woman. Really? Which is really weird because George Lucas, really all of his women were emotionally and physically stronger than all the men in his stories. Hmm. And they're all politicians and all involved in the military. And the men are like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. <laughs> Yoda, give me knowledge. Right. I don't know what to do. It's it's very interesting how the, the caricatures are very backwards. Hmm. So... Um, my sources are obviously there is the entire set of movies that George Lucas was involved in. And then there's, uh, several Disney plus series. Um, there's also a wiki fandom, which is super helpful. I found a lot of YouTube videos that just like, Hey, here's a four minute recap of this movie. Like if you don't want to rewatch the whole thing. Yeah. And then there was one called the complete history of princess Leia. That was 12 minutes. And that's a great YouTube video, Mm. but I do want to say, I definitely grew up a star Wars girl. Mm -hmm. My parents went on their first date, May of 1977 to a new hope. And that's so cute. Isn't that so cute? And it's then, like if there was no Star Wars, you wouldn't have existed. I know. It's like Back to the Future. What like a cute if someone first shot, you know, what's his face? George Lucas. Right. You would just be like, it would have been over. I'd be gone. Out of the picture. And then when I was um, a little bit older, maybe middle school, when they digitally remastered the Star Wars movies, my dad took my older brother and I to the Senator to see them <gasps> so on the fun. big screen. So I got to see like a new hope in a movie theater, which is not something that a lot of people get to do. And then obviously I was in like high school and college when the, you know, new ones were coming out with like Natalie Portman and all that. So, and Jar Jar Binks, right? Well, we're going <laughs> to ignore Jar Jar Binks as any true fan would. <laughs> My point in saying all that is I am definitely a fan, but I am not in the fandom. Mm, so like, I mm-hmm. haven't read all the comic books. I don't know because there's so much that I am just I am telling you the story of Leia, but I am missing. So I'm missing generational details for sure. Mm -hmm. So I'm very sorry, but this has to be attainable. If you need that, there are several Star Wars podcasts that you can go and subscribe to. Mm. You know, the more I drink this cocktail, it almost kind of tastes like like a pineapple eggnog. Mm. So I think that's the whore shot. It's so nice. And I'm going to chug it. Good. (laughs) Chug it. And this bun is delicious. (laughs) I can't wait to eat mine. Okay, here we go. As far as character development, Leia's story has changed a lot in drafts from the beginning with George Lucas. At first, like the main character, the Luke character, was going to be female. And then she was just going to be this bratty teenager. And then by the fourth draft, we get Princess Leia from Organa. Many women were up for the role, including Jodie Foster, Mm. Sybil Shepard, Sigourney Weber and Meryl Streep. Oh my God. But little like 19 year old (sighs) Carrie Fisher, daughter of Debbie Reynolds, (sighs) bops in and just nails it and gets the role. And it 
find her life, obviously, mm. after that. I was like, no shade on, like, the other women would have been Amazing. good, but there is something so powerful about Carrie Fisher that, like, she she exudes the confidence that you need from Princess Leia. She is Princess Leia. Yeah, They're one really, and the like, same. It's very Dan Radcliffe, uh, Harry Potter. Yeah. Like, you cannot mm-hmm. separate the two, which yeah. is both good and bad for somebody's career. Mm-hmm. It was fine for Carrie Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she was Princess Leia, one of the first four toys that went on the shelves for kids. So when they decided to like really sell the movie, it was Luke, Leia, R2-D2, and Chewie, meaning that they thought that she was more important, important than either Han or Darth Vader. Love that. Which is very special. And there are millions of other princesses from millions of other galaxies. And we can easily say that she is the best and most recognizable fictional female character ever. Yeah. And we can say that because you knew it based on the cocktail. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, and also it's funny because I have a question for you. How long did she actually have the buns for in the movie? She wears them, I think, in every in in episodes four, five, and six, uh-huh. she wears them periodically. Oh, really? Okay. Because in yeah. my mind, I was like, I feel like it was just in like a couple of minutes in the first movie, but I, I also feel like I'm wrong about yeah, that. Yeah, she wears them. <laughs> she wears them throughout those um, first sets of movies, but like then her hair is always like some dramatic braid or something. Okay. So also there is a Leia theme song that anytime it what? plays in the movie, it's like in the background. <sighs> So anytime it plays, it's always something dramatic is about to happen with Leia. And I know you've heard it. It's this. <gasps> yeah. So. Oh, that, I, yeah, I know exactly what that is. And it's anytime there's like something happening between her and Han or something happening like in general. So it's it's really touching that like she has her own little theme. That's so cool. And also. It makes me feel like they respect her just as much as the other characters. Exactly. I feel like she's like the original, like Hermione of like, I am equal to you. I'm not the girl sidekick. And I think even more so. Mm -hmm. So to do Leia justice, I thought we could absolutely not tell this story chronologically. (laughs) It has to be told. Four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine. So I'm sorry if you were here for a chronological story, but I conferenced with the entire Bane family about the order of this story, and this was the decision. Love it. So we're going to begin. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Star Wars. Oh, my gosh. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armed space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leia races home aboard her starship, custodian of the stolen plans that she can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Is that the whole beginning thing? Who? They didn't mention any of the boys. They mentioned Princess Leia, which is precisely why I wanted to read that. Nobody. I'm not reading any other movie. Just A New Hope. That's the very first one. Very first one. Okay. That's really cool because I watched that movie a lot with my brothers because yeah. Zach was a total Star Wars nerd. Yeah. 
Never once read it. (laughs) So I didn't know that it was setting the scene for Leia and literally no one else. That is is so cool. I didn't know that. It's a three paragraph drop. This is what's going on with Leia. Mm. So when we meet her, as I just described, we are already in the throngs of battle. Her ship is under attack and we don't quite know the circumstances and we aren't going to find out until the release of Rogue One in 2016. Really? Uh, (laughs) Talk about a decade after decade payoff. Rogue One. Excellent. Chef's kiss. We'll get to that (laughs) later. So what we can take from this introduction Leia is dressed in a stunning white gown with two buns in her hair. This is when the gown is kind of hooded. Mm. And um, she does comment later that George Lucas told her not to wear a bra under this dress, hmm. which, like, I think she might have been like, fuck you later. But at this point, he was like, women in space don't wear bras. Oh, which, what the yeah. fuck does that mean even? <laughs> it's like, you can't really say it's not like a fact. You're making, <laughs> you're you're making, making up it up. <laughs> outer space. Also, you make her wear a bikini later on. Yeah. So, like, don't tell me they don't wear bras. Right. Very weird. So, um, Darth Vader himself is going to board this ship. We don't know who Darth Vader is yet, but he just walks on. There is a small group of rebels who may and most likely are going to be massacred very soon. When we see her, it's her hand, actually, that we see first, slipping a data card into a little white and blue droid that we later learn is named R2-D2. And this is where she is sending her famous message. We don't hear the message yet, but as we know, it's help us, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're our only hope. (gasps) She is slipping the card in there. Vader's aboard. He's killing people. and Or I think it's help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but... Whatever, guys. So he's killing people. He tells the stormtroopers, go round up anybody that's alive. She's found and stunned and cuffed and escorted to Vader. He questions her about the rebels. And right away, you get to see her characterization. I mean, other than Darth Vader, she is like the first person to speak in the movie. Hmm. So she's he's right away like questioning her about the rebels and she's like i don't know what you're talking about i'm a member of the imperial senate i'm on a diplomatic mission and he's like no you're not you're a liar uh (laughs) take her away which is totally true she was a liar and he did take her away um but that's our first taste of leia that she is undermining the authority of the empire yeah she's not crumbling no she is not so when Vader was asked what to do about, like, this escaped pod, he says to go after it because the earlier people were like, so what we did see was R2-D2 with the data chip and C-3PO got on this pod to, like, escape with the data. Mm-hmm. And the bad guys are like, oh, there's no life on board that ship. Don't go after it, which just shows bad guys are always dumb because they don't think <laughs> about the little guys. And Vader's like, oh, they absolutely hid them on that ship. Like, go find the data. So Darth Vader took her captive and they're going to the Death Star. They make very clear that people are uncomfortable with it. We don't quite get why, but we now know that she had diplomatic immunity because she's a senator. And the people are kind of looking at her like, this is really uncomfortable. Why do you have her? But he lets Leia know that um, the 
Imperial Senate has been dissolved and the Empire is taking over. So this is an authoritarian government takeover okay. right in the beginning. She's locked in cell 2187 and she is very quickly interrogated aboard the ship with a droid. Remember it flies in and it has all those pokies and like needles coming out of it and they just like fade in front of her and you hear her like in distress. Um, but she stands up to that torture and does not tell people where the rebel base is, even mm. though she is very well aware of where it is. So she is um, set to be killed, but they're like, you know, it would be great if we like gave her an ultimatum first and said, hey, Leia, um, tell us where the rebel base is or... We're going to blow up your entire planet. <gasps> Remember, this is very early in the movie. Yeah, I feel like it's like the first like 10 minutes you're basically recapping. Yeah, and she's like, I don't think we've even met Luke or Obi-Wan, correct? No, and like they put her in front of this huge window and she like mm-hmm. tries, she gives up a base. It's a fake base name, but she gives up a base. And then they're like, eh, we're going to blow up your planet anyway. And like Vader forces her to watch as they, the... Death Star does its like first big task, which is with a ray of light, blow up her all her family, yeah. all her friends, the place she grew up, everything she knows. Ugh. She's like totally devastated in the first ten minutes of this movie, and I don't think we talk about it enough. No, we don't. <laughs> like, that's like really crazy, and the fact that she's able to do literally anything after that because yeah. I think it goes to show what a strong person she is that, and, like, how she can see the bigger picture of, like, she's like, okay, well, I was fighting for my friends and family, but, like, now I just have to fight for the galaxy. And what a broad... <laughs> what a broad thing, Thing honestly, to be yeah. fighting for when, like, everyone you know and love is dead now. Yeah. Mm. So, meanwhile, a little farm boy from Tantooine, <laughs> Tantooine gets a hold of the droids and takes the message to Obi-Wan, who he doesn't know is Obi-Wan yet. He's just calling him Ben, which is weird. Um, <laughs> you mean old Ben? Yeah, old Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and they hire a shady smuggler and his Wookiee pal Chewie to um, go to Alderaan to see Leia because of this message um but surprise it's not there ah. it's exploded oh no yeah and they're like <laughs> flying through the space dust which is like just dead people in buildings yeah like, swarming around them terrible so they decide they're gonna go on this rescue mission to save leia disguised as stormtroopers she is immediately underwhelmed by them as they get into her cell um but she's like when they find when she finds out that obi-wan's with them she's like okay fine i'll come this little crew of three are quickly detected and drive into dive into a trash chute. Um, and her and Solo, Han Solo, are at odds the entire time and have quippy attitude towards each other throughout all of the movies, <laughs> continuing to um, present day. And he's very condescending to her, always calling her princess and your majesty, clearly not knowing how deeply she runs in this yeah. crowd. <laughs> like she is in the crowd. And uh, my personal favorite line that she has is in this first movie, but episode four, where she says, I don't know who you are or where you came from, but from now on, you do what I tell you. <laughs> I just find that so beautiful. Oh, perfect. So through time, she totally impresses them with her helping to escape. She knows her way around a blaster and basic combat. And then, of course, Obi-Wan dies sad. Mm. 
But upon the escape, Leia is like, okay, well, we have to go back to the Rebel base. And there's probably a homing device on the Millennium Falcon, but we have to go back. So they go back to discuss strategy. This is when we first see her full power. She's included in all of the diplomatic and military talks when Hans and Luke are not. Mm. And I keep saying Hans. I know it's Han. It just, in my head. Is it really? Yeah, it's Han Solo, not Hans Olo. But because you always say it as one, Han Solo. Huh. It's Han. Just forgive me, everybody. I'm drinking. And I haven't eaten today. So except for the cinnamon bun. So you have to wait a little bit for that. Just just a little. Because I'm on like episode four. Yeah. So at this point, the rebels have the data card for R2-D2, which is blueprints of the Death Star. So now we understand why they were going through all of this trouble. Also, everyone's like, shit, you're alive. Your whole planet was exploded. That's good. And then she goes to the trouble of, like, making arrangements for little farm boy to get to fly in this mission to blow up the Death Star. Also, we know while Leia's watching from Mission Control, which is not what it's called, but he uses the Force to shoot a little laser into this hole that blows up the whole Death Star, which seems like a huge design flaw. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. there would be that one. Like, what? We've Why does heel. anything have a self-destruct button? <laughs> no, it should not be there. <laughs> so at the close of the first um, episode, the fourth episode, first movie, she stands in this grand hall and gives the boys medals for, for what they've done. <laughs> um, comic anecdote here from the comic books. She is feeling super alone. Mm. They spend a lot of time on her personal development in the comic books because she's such an in-depth character. Yeah. She notices a woman looking at a statue that's there to honor her parents and she walks over and the woman addresses her as my queen and Leia's like, ooh, that's not me, but she technically is the queen of the non-existent Alderaan now. Okay. And Leia is informed by this girl that there is a price on her head and everyone's head from Alderaan. So they are, the Empire is personally seeking out and killing any survivors. Oh, or like people who okay. weren't on the planet at yeah. the time. So in 1980, <laughs> episode five, the Empire strikes back. We've had a three year gap, both in actual time and movie time okay. between these two. Um, we should say that she is in the comic books going on missions with Luke and Han to like do shit and save people. When we next see Leia, she is overseeing the construction of the new rebel echo base on Hoth as the leader of the rebel Alliance. This is the snow planet movie. Okay. The, the snowy one, you know, it's like uh, the yeah. second Indiana Jones movie where you're like, do I have to watch this? Yes. <laughs> just to get to the third one. I get it. So the Empire is looking for this new base and sending out probe droids. Luke's out on a mission and, like, passes out because he's always being, like, needing saving. And (laughs) Han goes to save him. And then his little two-legged horse thing dies. And then they're just out there freezing to death. And it's a whole mess. Remember, like, Han gets stuck in the snow and has to, like, cut that smelly animal open and sleep inside. And then Luke is fighting, like, a Yeti. Like, the whole thing is crazy. Yeah, it just was not interesting in that as a child it's very nuts but because they're out there and eventually get back the base is attacked because Mm. it's found this is also the movie where there is that icky love thing where like han is trying to rub it in her face that like she likes him so she just like kisses luke 
And now we know it's her twin brother, but we didn't then. Oh, we still didn't know by the second no, movie? No, we don't know. Oh. Not even. Um, Luke finds out later this movie, but Leia does not find out till the third movie. Oh, shit. So Luke at this point doesn't know that they're twins either. So... I don't know. There's a lot happening, but the Empire pretty much crushes their base because it's a brand new base. They don't have like a lot set up. Um, so Luke is like, I've been called to go find Yoda. So he like abandons Yoda's not until the second movie? Yeah, no. What? So he's Wow, like, my timeline is all I'm going to go become a Jedi. <laughs> and he just leaves them. And then Leia and Han escape in another direction on the Millennium Falcon. Um, this is when we see Leia and Han love story truly develop. Um, but she's not really honest about her feelings ever. And he, that annoys him. It's very 80s love story. Mm-hmm. Um, they definitely share a really passionate kiss while they're like working on the gears to make the <laughs> Millennium Falcon go into hyperspace or whatever, hyperspeed. Now, the problem is that they're being chased. Their hyperdrive isn't working, and Han decides to escape into an asteroid field. But they had hidden the ship on one of the asteroids in a cave. But it's not a cave. It's a big tube monster oh, spider no. worm. <laughs> this is Dune? Ah, they're, like, getting eaten alive by a lizard. I, I can't explain this any better. <laughs> And then they're like, and they get out of the tube worm and like out back into the asteroid field where their hyperspeed is now fixed. Um, (laughs) So I don't know. But maybe, maybe fixed. But to avoid detection, they end up landing like on a Star Destroyer and just turning off their like electricity and just like hunkering down a bit. (laughs) Anyway, they're not aware that Boba Fett is now following them. So, like, they have escaped the Empire, but now Boba Fett's like, whoa, I gotcha. So, from there, they go to Cloud City uh, to meet with Lando Calrissian, who's, like, Han's old friend. Uh, But he betrays them to Darth Vader. uh, And Darth Vader's like, oh, you know what I want to do is, like, freeze Luke in this carbon stuff. So, instead, I'm going to test it on Han Solo. Mm. So, he freezes Han in the carbon stuff, hands him over to... Boba Fett or Boba Fett and then um Leia again is being taken away like deja vu but Lando like this isn't what we agreed upon and like steps in saves Leia uh but before all that when he's about to be frozen there's the famous I love you I know line so do you know about this I don't know (laughs) I don't think so all the banter leading up to this is that Leia's like I don't like you I don't like you I don't like you like just leave me alone stop flirting with me and then he's about to get frozen and she's like I love you and he just goes I know oh it is it's become so famous in the Star Wars universe there's like a bath towels instead of saying him and her they say like or his and hers, they say, I love you, I know. Oh, that's and very like cute. T shirts that people wear to like <laughs> Disney World with their little faces on them. That's cute. Um, so it's become a very iconic line between the two of them. So Han's frozen body ends up going back to Tantooine with Boba Fett to go to Jabba the Hutt. Um, Leia and Chewie uh, and Lando take the Millennium falcon and are like escaping leia of course is super pissed about all of this but then luke shows up wearing black now because he's a bad boy that's been (laughs) trained and um he has this fight with vader 
loses his hand uh-huh. and finds out that Vader's his dad. He had found out from Yoda that his sister was Leia. Okay, so. and the most misquoted movie line oh, probably of all time. Of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because he never says Luke, right? No, he just says, I am your father. Yeah. If there's no Luke, I am your father. Yeah. But we have to, I mean, we're just putting it in perspective. <laughs> so again, there's lots of comic book missions between the two movies. But in 1983, episode six, Return of the Jedi, uh, when we first see Leia, she is fully dressed as a bounty hunter. Mm. She's like, ka-ch, ka-ch, ready to infiltrate Jabba the Hutt's palace to rescue Han. She arrives with Chewie as a fake prisoner in handcuffs. (laughs) She thinks she's making a deal and everything's going okay. So then at night, she sneaks in and releases Han from the carbonite, which like, and then he can't see, which like, what a great detail because he hasn't used his eyes in a while. Mm -hmm. And she removes her helmet. They kiss immediately. But then shit, it was a trap. How (laughs) could it be a trap? Han... Uh, is thrown in prison. Leia is trying to signal Luke, but Jabba likes the look of Leia, who is now captured, and he orders her over and then licks her fucking face. Ew. It drives me bananas. That scene <laughs> makes me so gross when he licks her face. Then, and this is probably the most, the part of the movie that people underappreciate the most, I would say. She is taken as a slave girl mm-hmm. to this big monster. Yeah. She is chained to him at all times in her famous metal bikini. Um, we see a scene where Leia is sleeping next to Jabba. She must be just so exhausted. And Luke arrives at the palace. Of course, he's wearing all black. And she watches in silence while Luke negotiates to, like, buy her. But... He is refused and thrown in this pit with a monster. Luke, of mm. course, kills the monster because he's like a Jedi now. Mm-hmm. Um, Jabba's pissed and sentenced Luke and Han to death. And she's made to accompany him upon his barge to watch her friends die, which she's already seen her entire family die through a window. And right. now this. He this tell- is like in, early, in like the beginning of the movie. Yeah, like this, this is-, is all in like the, fr- the first couple minutes of like yeah. episode six. It's like really distressing. And... Leia, um, you know, he tells her, like, you'll learn to appreciate me eventually, which is like, ooh, that's disgusting. I hate you. You're like, I'm your slave. Sex slave, probably. Like, presumably, that's what we could think. So Leia has tried to move herself close enough to him to kick the controls, and she does, and the ship goes dark, and then she jumps over his tail, tightens the chains (sighs) around his neck, and strangles him to death. I love the image that she strangles him with the chain that she's she's locked to to him with. That's yeah. Mm. Now this bikini has really become iconic, but Carrie did advise Daisy who plays Ray in Mm -hmm. episode seven, eight, nine to avoid a similar fate Yeah, because this like Leia made the best Carrie made the best out of, you know, a bad thing. But she has been, as a character and a person, sexualized over and over and over again because of these scenes where she is supposed to be being tortured. Yeah. Which is really, I think, dis- really distressing. It is. And it also sucks because I didn't realize that that wasn't until the third movie. So yeah. we had two 
full movies of this not happening. And this is like what she's known for. It's in sexual fantasies, you know, which I don't want to like kink shame anyone, but also like, I think Carrie's point is that like, you're supposed to be taking this as like an awful thing that's happening. And like, now you're putting your own partner in like this thing that was supposed to be like demoralizing and humiliating for Leia. Yeah. Like that sucks. It is. And then like, especially like, and we'll get to that next, but like she's raised as royalty. Like she's not, dealt with this she's always been in a power position and this is our first time seeing her weak yeah and that's really hard well and it also sucks that like men like a weak woman that's what's super distressing to me it does suck and i also i hate that it always has to be well we want to demoralize her so let's take all of her clothes off right you know because like it sucks that it's perpetuating the idea that like when you have fewer clothes on, it means you're more of like a victim or a target or whatever. And that's also fucked up. Exactly. It's like, it's like there's <laughs> two things. Either you're victim blaming yeah. or you're saying that like a sex worker is not a valid person. Right. And neither of those are fine. I know. <laughs> it's, it's, I feel like you could write a whole book on like the metal bikini and like oh, yeah. the, what it is. I don't know what it means. Like, Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. In all these contexts, like it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It's really diverse. And then, I mean, people have, especially like far right people have protested to have Slave Leia toys and costumes removed from shelves. But Carrie, who's come to terms with it, said to those fathers who flipped out about it saying, what do you what am I supposed to tell my kids about why she's in that outfit? She said. Tell them a giant slug captured me and forced me to wear that stupid outfit. And then I killed him because I didn't like it. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Easy as that. Easy as that. I killed him because I didn't like it. Yep. And then she immediately changes to being like fully clothed again. Yeah. It's so crazy. And it also sucks because I, I vividly remember too her bounty hunter outfit. Yes. Like it's such a cool, like, like, and she's like, it has like a voice modulator and like, it's, I don't know. It's really, it's wild. It is. So, but I, I vividly remember that outfit and then her being in the, in the bikini and it, I don't know. It's just like those things are cemented in your mind. Yeah. And then it's like, because the rest of the movie, she's mostly like in Ewok territory. So she looks real like hippie. Yeah. Which is also super cute. Yeah. Non-revealing. I don't know. It's really uncomfortable. Anyway, R2-D2 does cut her chains and they rush to the upper floor of the Bard ship. They all end up on the Millennium Falcon and they reunite with the Rebel Alliance. And they find out that there's a second Death Star that's half built. So the plan is we have to go to the ground on this planet and disable the shields around the Death Star. And she's like, yeah, okay, I'll go. And they're like, oh, don't go. And she's like, no, I'm absolutely (laughs) fucking going. So they go. They're making their ways on speeder bikes. Like, you know, through the woods with stormtroopers following them. Um, she does get knocked off a bike and knocked unconscious. At which point a little baby bear <laughs> walks up and like befriends Leia. And 
they are giving her clothes and helping her escape the stormtroopers and treating her so nicely. And she's at their little village. And then soon she realizes that her friends, who were also running, have been taken captive by the Ewoks. Oh, and no. they are going to be the banquet. Oh, my God. That, I don't remember that. <laughs> that is prepared for C-3PO, their golden god. <laughs> oh, my God. I did not remember any of this. So fun. Um, but Leia gets them to, like, slow down and, like, not do that <laughs> because, of course, she's great. Um and Luke's like, hey, I'm so happy we're all safe. This is so great. I'm going to go fight Darth Vader now. And Leia's like uh, giving him a hug and like, please don't do that. That's insane. And he's like, no, I'm absolutely going to I'm absolutely going to fight him. He's my dad. And Leia's like, what the fuck? And then he's like, and you're str-, she's like, like, oh, what am, what are we going to do without you type deal? And he's like, well, you're strong, too. And she's like, not as strong as you. And he's like, actually, <laughs> you are. You're my twin sister. And then they hug. But while they're hugging, Han walks up and he's like, oh, I guess you want to be left alone. Like, <laughs> kind of storms away like a little jealous bitch. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. Like, it's a whole like this whole love triangle thing really hammers out in the end. But Luke leaves. And the next day they take down the field generator and Han and Leia have a cute quippy conversation while they're murdering stormtroopers. And she's like, don't worry about it. It's my brother. Chill. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> it's like, and then, I mean, we, we see that at the end of this movie, the battle has ended. The death star number two goes down. Palpatine is murdered from Darth Vader and Vader turns good and then dies. And then, we all live happily ever after. Okay. <laughs> Until movie seven, which we won't get to for a bit. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was yeah, like we're on seven. Okay. Yeah. Now we're going to go back to one. <laughs> back to one. <laughs> <laughs> so after um, all of this, there is a massive like 20 some year gap between yeah. movies where there's so many comic books coming out. This is where we get a lot of Leia's backstory. So in 1999, 2005 and or 2002 and 2005 episodes one, two, and three come out phantom menace attack of the clones and revenge of the Sith. These episodes are the story of Leia's parents. Mm -hmm. So much of what I'm going to talk about is not in the movies. Her birth is briefly touched on in episode three, but the backstories are in the comic books. So Leia was born on an asteroid colony shortly after the clone wars. And the Jedi Purge. The Jedi Purge is what we see in the movies where Jedis are being murdered. It's kind of like a genocide of yeah. a religious group. And Palpatine, or the Emperor, is kind of taking over with Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader by his side. Her mother was a Naboo senator, Padme Amidala, and she had been struggling with her pregnancy because um, she had lost her husband to the dark side and she knew that her kids would be force sensitive and there's a genocide mm. on force sensitive people. Oh, I never thought about the fact that like if they're force sensitive, they're probably like feeling all of that pain, but like in utero. Yeah. And mm. I mean, and also like just the fact that she's like, I'm going to birth persecuted people. Yeah. And I think she's struggling with that. And I'm sure parents I, it's not something i ever had to deal with as a very privileged person but there are definitely people who are like i don't know if i want to birth a child into this mayhem yeah like being who i am 
So to escape from her husband, who actually in the last scene we see them together, strangles her with the force because he's so mad at her. Like serious spousal abuse. Hate that. I'm sorry, Natalie Portman, that happened to you. But she gives birth. Obi-Wan Kenobi is there. Yoda and Senator Bail Organa from Alderaan. Because of her condition, the surgeons almost had to take the babies like out of her, like cesarean is what we would call it here. But she ended up being able to birth them. She lived only a few moments after their birth, and she named the twins Luke and Leia, and then passed after holding her babies for just a second. Effectively orphaning her twins, because, spoiler, Anakin is Darth Vader, Mm -hmm. and Obi-Wan is like, okay, I'm going to take the boy one to go live with Anakin's like stepbrother who on Tantooine and Senator Senator King Bail Organa is like, you know, we can't have kids. Mm. My wife really wants a baby. We run this planet. Like mm-hmm. we'll just take the little girl. Yeah. So they're like, cause they don't want them in the same place because if somebody finds one of them, they're trying to preserve children with the force. Cause if everybody with the force dies, there won't be anybody else. So, um senator organa takes her away and they go home and they the twins will not see each other again until 19 years later mm. leia goes to live on alderaan with her newly adopted family she is now a crowned princess the organas never try to hide that she's adopted but she isn't informed of her parentage at all like okay. she doesn't know who her parents are or that she had a twin brother because like the whole deal is they're hiding it. Yeah. But also because the Clone Wars just happened, there's a lot of orphaned kids. So nobody even questions it. Right. They're just like, okay, the king and queen did something nice. Right, like, right, they took yeah. took in an orphaned baby from these wars. Mm-hmm. Leia had a large extended family that took place in her upbringing. She had like three paternal aunts and a maternal aunt, and they're all helping her around. But she doesn't officially show any signs that she's Force-sensitive, which is really, really good. And then later on, she saves one of her caregivers with really quick reflexes from, like, falling over a rail. And some people saw it, and everybody's like, shit. And some people are sent to the planet to, like, check it out. Fortunately, there was a double agent in this group sent to check it out. And he's like, no, she's fine. There's no force here. No force on this planet. However, then she's kind of assigned a person, an old guy, to, like, walk around with her all the time to, like, cover up anytime oh, she does any forcey shit. Okay. And she hates that. Leia was upper class, but she was more of a tomboy princess. And she had this best friend named Winter who was really, really classy. And they would often get mistaken for each other because they <laughs> thought the classy girl was the princess. Mm-hmm. And she was not. In order to correct this, her aunts tried to make her look were like a princess. So they looked at how people wore their hair in Naboo, which is where Adme, um, Padme Padme Amidala mm-hmm. was from. And they start to do her hair in these very intricate styles. Um, but she hated it. She hated being a dress-up doll. So at <laughs> one point, she cut all her hair off. She Britney Spears herself. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they make her wear wigs for the <laughs> remainder of the time. So, although she hated the dress-up doll status, she loved government and diplomacy. So, she had the benefit of a palace education and palace etiquette, and her dad would take her on all these trips to other planets and imperial meetings, and... 
you know, she just loved being off and about with her dad, even though she really knew that there was something off about her connection to him. She definitely showed promise very early on, but still was wild. At 16, she attended the University of Alderaan, and she also started training in self-defense because her dad was like, look, you are like a prime target. Not only are you my daughter, but you're also, she doesn't know, but force sensitive, and you need to know how to defend yourself. So they teach her all the basic battle shit. So Leia is starting to realize that her dad is training her for a reason other than the Mm. Senate. Uh, And a week before she turned 17, which is her adulthood, she overheard a conversation with her dad trying to restore the Republic. And she's like, oh, wait, I also hate the Empire. Like, is there something we can do about this? So she made it her goal to restore a Republic to the world that she lives in. So when she's finished school, it's a traditional for princesses to get suitors. And she's like, dad... I'm not going to do that until I get a chance to be a senator, mm. which is great. I love that. Yeah, because oh she's God. 18. Right. <laughs> well, and I love that she did feel comfortable enough asking her dad that because, like, you know, we've seen in history, like, real history, this is obviously fictional, but, like, <laughs> yeah. in real history, like, a lot of women might not have felt comfortable being like, hey, I know this is my royal duty, but I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Or like, or even just like my uh, community duty, you know, like what's expected of me. Exactly. And I like, I think that the connection that her dad had with her is understanding not only am I a king and senator, but your actual birth mother was a queen and senator mm. and your father was force sensitive and you are and will be powerful. So, like, yeah. I'm going to make sure that you know everything you need to know to survive. Yeah. Because otherwise, she's just a target from all sides. Yeah. I also think it's cool to, like, to remember that she is a part of the Force. Because I think sometimes we only think about Luke oh, yeah. as having Jedi powers. But, like, she does, too. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. She does. And we get to see that in the newest movies, which mm. is so fun. Mm-hmm. So... Um, at age 18, she became the youngest Imperial Senator ever elected. And her dad finally introduced her to Emperor Palpatine, which she was like, I'm going to go in and tell him what I think. Give him my (laughs) two cents. And then she got there and is just so intimidated and like shrunken upon herself. And her dad's like, it's okay. They're like really intimidating dudes. Finally, her dad enlisted her to help in the Rebel Alliance. This is when Leia began to step up and do covert missions what she would do which is what we see in a new hope is take her ship on a fake humanitarian mission but really be delivering things for the rebels Mm. the whole time Mm -hmm. and that is where like rogue one kind of comes into play okay so rogue one is set exactly moments before a new hope And it gives you exactly what's happening. Now, we don't see Princess Leia until the very end because we're supposed to assume that she's out doing her Senate duties and people are calling her, like, Miss Inalienable Rights. Like, they're treating her like people treat AOC. Yeah. Like, you're so cute that you think things matter. And she's like, no, I do think things matter. And actually, I'm part of the rebellion. But what's happening, Rogue One is named after a group of rebels. They steal the Death Star plans and uh, sacrifice their lives to get the plans to Leia. So the final scene of the movie, even though A New Hope, all we see is this little card being slipped into R2-D2. 
in Rogue One, we see not frantic, but a scared Leia running through the halls of a ship with like flashing lights. It's mm-hmm. been hit. It's going down. She knows everybody she's with is going to die. And she's got to get these plans off this ship. Yeah. And she finds the droid. People are like, go with him, go with him. And she's like, no, I'm staying here. Yeah. And she stays because she's like, you know what? Not only will they detect me if I'm on that ship, but there's Mm -hmm. more chance of people surviving if they can take me as a captive and not murder everybody. Yeah. So, I mean, it is such an amazing moment. And then you see the scene where Vader walks through and the smoke happens and like all the people get killed. And it's like, the movie ends where the other one starts. It's like the most amazing payoff in film history of all time. <laughs> of all time. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. I just remember like my mind exploding. Like I just watched this whole movie for this. Yeah. I already knew this happened. <laughs> it was so amazing. It was so, so amazing. And that was in Rogue One? Rogue One, which okay. is not part of the franchise. Oh. So there is, well, it is the franchise, but there's four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, eight, nine. Rogue One and the movie called Solo are both movies that were made, okay. but they're not on the timeline of oh. the three trilogies. Okay. And now they've just moved to Disney Plus shows altogether. Okay. With Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett, which I highly recommend both. <laughs> okay. So the later movies are a lot faster because Carrie Fisher has a much lighter role. She's mm-hmm. a background character, whereas Ray and Finn and mm-hmm. Poe are like the new people, the new Star Wars people. So episode seven, The Force Awakens, it's 30 years in between episode six and where we left Luke and Leia and Han. All we really need to know in between, even though there's a bazillion comic books, is yeah. that Han and Leia have gotten married. They had a son named Ben Solo and that she is now the general of the military <laughs> of the New Republic. I love that she's the general. The general. That's she very is the cool. general. It's amazing. Also, her and Han are, like, split up. They were married. Oh, and they got divorced? And, not okay. divorced, but they're estranged. Okay. For sure. Okay. Okay. So 30 years after the destruction of the second um, Death Star, the old Empire supporters have risen up to try to stop the New Order. Uh, an army led by General Leia Organa was leading the fight against them while looking for her brother who mysteriously disappeared <laughs> while she's dealing with this shit oh my God. and her husband who's estranged and she's alone, which I mean, what a woman. Meanwhile, the new big bad Kylo Ren is killing people left and right to try to find this map to find Luke. Mysterious map. Now, the map to Luke gets stored in, guess what? A little droid. (laughs) Just like the first time we saw this. (laughs) A little droid called BB-8, orange and white this time instead of blue, a little rolly droid, Uh, and escapes with a little farm girl named (laughs) Ray. I think we've all seen this movie. I never knew that it was like kind of like a repeat of the first one. That's very cool. very repetitive, (laughs) but so adorable. Okay. So also, there's this good guy, Stormtrooper. We get to personalize Stormtroopers for the first time, Mm. named Finn. He's awesome. He starts working with Rey. They steal the Millennium Falcon out of a junkyard, and then Han, like, comes up on him, like, thanks for stealing my ship back. Love it, but I'm going to take it from here. But then they're like, no, you actually have to work with us. And then they see this new weapon that is 
scarier than the Death Star because it actually can harness the power of a star and like redirect it. Mm. Things we need to know about Han that we learn is that Kylo Ren, the new big bad, is his son. That Luke ran away because while he was training little baby Jedis to replace the old Jedis that were murdered, uh-huh. one of his apprentices went crazy and killed all the little baby toddler <gasps> Jedis. Oh no. Ooh, which is like a horrible massacre scene that you don't need to see. Um, BB-8 is delivered to the resistance. There's lots of fighting and blowing things up to try to get to said BB-8. Um, but this is also like we see Ray and Finn getting to know Leia. And then we see Han and Leia interacting, even though they're estranged. And we find out that Kylo Ren is their kid together and it's Ben Solo. And now he's in the dark side really devastating like the whole story is like a repeat of what happened with darth vader like two generations later um but even though they're estranged leia and han share like a really nice hug and she sends him she's like i'm trying to find luke can you please go find our kid and like bring him back here alive i know he's not all evil uh but then kylo ren kills han solo in this movie that's horrible ending harrison ford's time in the star wars franchise except for ghost harrison ford that comes later which i and i'm not kidding about that sentence which i'm not even gonna bring up because it's not worth it okay okay ray though sees kylo ren kill um han and then just picks up a lightsaber and fights him and like wins. And we realize that Ray is also force sensitive, but mm-hmm. we're like, who the fuck is her dad? And this is all the fandom has talked about for years and years and years. Yeah. Who is Ray's dad? I, mean, I would imagine Luke. It's not. Oh, really? But that's what everybody thought. Oh, but okay. yeah, he's kind of like a celibate little dude. I don't like, he's very like a proper priest oh, in like okay. a Catholic order. And like everybody else is like fucked up. But <laughs> then she jumps on the Falcon with Chewie. They go back to Leia. They share a big old huggy and mourn Han's death together. Ray gets the map, follows it, finds Luke, goes to the island, and, like, not only are you going to take this lightsaber and come back, but you're also going to train me how to be a Jedi. And he's yeah. like, no, I don't want to. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> Episode 8, <laughs> The Rise of Skywalker. Um, the force, uh, is being not the force, but the military is being led by Leia. They're in battle. We're at the center of it. And she demotes this guy for not listening to her. It's really great. We get to see older Carrie Fisher be awesome. Um, and then Kylo sees their ship and he hesitates to fire on it because he senses his mother's present presence. But then her ship gets exploded and she's in it. Oh, and we all think she's dead. But she's not. We don't know that. Oh. But but she's not. But I thought she died like two minutes into the movie. Yeah. That would be crazy. (laughs) I was like, like, what is happening? The first time I watched it, I was really upset about it. So there's a lot going on on the outskirts. Obviously, Luke is training um, Ray. All these things are happening. But what you really end up needing to know from this movie is by the end Luke is going to come back and help fight. Leia is not dead. And somehow after being blown into outer space, she, for the first time, decides to like really function and use the force to like, mm-hmm. like bring herself back to the ship. 
for good measure, you should know that Laura Dern is in this movie, and she plays the person who stands in for Leia while she's gone because they think she died, and mm-hmm. she kind of takes over. And then when Leia gets back, she sacrifices herself so that Leia and all the other forces can live. Wow. Like, That's the nice. last scene of the movie is <laughs> Laura Dern in her kick-ass dress with purple hair giving herself up. Hmm to the bad guys oh that's nice it is nice (laughs) (laughs) anyway (laughs) um there's a big fight scene and luke dies at the end of this one oh which is ironic because now han is dead and luke is dead and we didn't know that carrie fisher was actually going to die Mm. so she died before we finished this movie and she's the only one of the trio that's dead, but they've already killed off the other two. Ugh. She was meant to be the star from beginning oh my gosh. to end. So at the end of this movie, they had to like digitally recreate her and like <sighs> use lines that they like had previously recorded. That's crazy. And then it becomes a big problem. What do we do with episode nine? Yeah. Because the digital remastering wasn't that great and it was like okay but like how do you make a person and it's not like polar express where everybody's digitally remastered yeah it's like really hard so what they decide to do is take all recycled footage that they hadn't used yet of carrie from seven and eight and they are going to use that and then for the shots they don't have they literally took her face off of herself in other scenes and digitally put it on top of a stand-in actor. And she is a major part of the ninth movie, and it's all not her. That makes me feel weird. It is very uncomfortable, because then, like, what if it's a great performance? Who gets the Oscar? Like, she's dead, and she didn't act the role. Oh, God. That's so weird. Are they at least going to have, like, Billy Lord? (laughs) play you know, her right or something like should, yeah i think her daughter did like a younger version of her that they did some digital stuff to in one of them i think or i think they thought they were going to okay wow that's uh yeah that's a lot it was really uncomfortable so in episode nine where they're doing all this again she's in it but not a ton because they have to do all <sighs> yeah. this but there are major scenes where because she's like one of the only jedis left she has to train ray so she is training this younger woman how to be a Jedi. And that's the first time we see woman-on-woman Jedi training. Yeah. Which is really amazing. Um, and then she starts traveling with Lando Calrissian, who came back because they needed a character that we've all seen <laughs> before. Um, and, you know, they keep looking for who Rey is. And they find out that she's Palpatine's granddaughter, who's the emperor from the original oh. set, and that's why she has the Force. Ooh. Turns out that her and Kylo Ren had kind of had this little love story going on all about the time, and they end up joining together to beat Palpatine. But it's just Kylo Ren is too far gone. Yeah. But then there's this crazy death scene where Leia's also dying, and they're fighting and like almost killing each other, but killing Palpatine. And then it turns out that Rey dies... But Kylo Ren uses the force to bring her back to life. Huh. Didn't know that was an option. Didn't know that was an option either. <laughs> but then he dies after kind of giving his life up for Rey. Okay. So, here's where the end of the movie comes into play. 
Ray. And this is why, I mean, this movie is supposed to be like the return of the Skywalkers, like the et cetera, et cetera. She's like, quote unquote, a Jedi. And she's now like a Palpatine. And we know who she is. She goes to the island where she went to find Luke and she is planning to exile herself. And like ghost Jedi Luke is like, no, that's ridiculous. Like you're amazing. So she takes Luke's lightsaber, goes back to Tantooine and Leia's lightsaber actually buries both. of Oh, because Leia made her. I forgot this. Leia made her own lightsaber with like a blue. Yeah, that's cool. Made it. (laughs) Anyway, she buries both of them in the death place of Luke's aunt and uncle, like at his old house Mm -hmm. and a passerby walks past kind of as she's doing that and like looking at like where, you know, Luke and whoever used to live and goes, huh, you know, who are you? What's your name? And she just stands up and says, Ray Skywalker. And then just like walks away, just took their last name <laughs> and scene. End go. of the series, Ray Skywalker. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Carrie Fisher <laughs> is undoubtedly the lifeblood of all of these films. She is lovable and beloved on screen. She became known for being a bit rebellious, especially for her wit and resistance to being labeled a sexy princess. She is a mainstay of the, you know, post Star Wars badass. Like I was mm-hmm. in episode four, five, six, and now I'm just the queen. She also has become famous for flipping people the bird when <laughs> they piss her off. There are so many pictures online of her giving people the finger. And she's uh has a very foul mouth, which is very opposite of Debbie Reynolds, which yeah. I really love. Well, from what we see of Debbie Reynolds' public persona, yeah. I don't know her personally. So she's also become a voice for the feminist movement. But since she's passed, people have started to carry signs that have her hair on them. Just the buns and shirts with her face. Like, I have a shirt with her face that says, a woman's place is in the resistance. And, like, there's, like, ones that have her hair with the buns that just say rebel girl. Because she literally was (laughs) the leader of the rebel alliance. Like, that was her thing. After her death, a deleted scene of Carrie acting as Leia talking to another female senator came out and I think it describes her perfectly where she says, not all the senators think I'm insane or maybe they do. I don't care. <laughs> That's and perfect. That is Princess wow. Leia. <laughs> that is a lot of story. It's an epic, epic story. Uh, I, I mean, we did it in an hour. Did we? Yeah. <laughs> That's impressive. That was a lot. I know. But I mean, she is, a pretty iconic yeah she is character it's hard to i don't know tie her down me and that's literally pretty much just the movies i did a little comic book yeah yeah that's a lot of info (laughs) but very cool i love princess leia i also love seeing how she did not she like i'm not even gonna say gained power she maintained a power throughout the whole thing which i think is really fucking cool uh, well, that's awesome. Yeah, I love her. Well, are you gonna about? Are you ready to get into another really royal I person? I need to rest. I need to rest. Right. I'm a sick human. We'll be, we'll be right back. <laughs>
We're back with a new epic journey. <sighs> epic journey, new drink. And I feel like both of our cocktails really went along really well with these buns. Yeah. You know, like I feel like this is a desserty cocktail. It's a fancy. Yes. Fancy cocktail. Oh my gosh. Okay. So do you want to know what it is? I do. <laughs> so I'm calling this the pink Russian. Uh, it's obviously based off of a white Russian. Um, so it is an ounce and a half of vanilla vodka, an ounce of coffee liqueur, and then you shake blackberry liqueur with heavy cream to make it kind of pinkish blue and then you pour it over the vodka and the the coffee so i'm so cheers excited. cheers <laughs> mm, so good that is tasty you, i mean you know that a white russian is like my favorite I love a white russian and like i always want to do them for, as like a dessert thing but then by the end of the night i'm always like too tired to make it exactly i agree oh i just love it so much and you can't really have it like with appetizers it's like you know you can't have like a cheese plate and a right. white russian it's weird it is it's way too hard um so anyways what do you know about Catherine the great i really don't know very much about Catherine the great i mean i think that she was part of the queen victoria constituent perhaps is that like her mom or related Mm-mm. to her no <laughs> i really don't i don't know a lot about Russian history, which is something that has always been a deficit of mine. Yeah. I love, love, love Russian history. And so this was such a treat for me. Um, it's so just, she's just like a monarch in Russia. It's <laughs> her background was not at all what I thought it was going to be. Oh, it's, okay. It's just really interesting. We got a little okay. Um, okay. So I do want to give a preface. Obviously, we will be talking about Russian history, but it is so big and so much bigger than this podcast can possibly be. You know, I'm gonna be like rushing through some things and skipping over stuff, and especially with her life. Again, the Queen's podcast, which was one of my sources this week, they did a four part series on her which probably totaled to about five hours so i listened to their coverage i listened to um the history chicks i listened to stuff you missed in history class there was a documentary on youtube this is a lot it's both of our women are overwhelming (laughs) overwhelming so that's the theme of tonight i know overwhelming so i just want to say like you know if i missed out on your favorite Catherine fact and i do apologize but it was a lot to cram in and yeah okay princess sophie frederick August von Anhalt Zerbs Domberg. <laughs> oh my word. We're starting off overwhelming. Was born on May 2nd, 1729, in the Kingdom of Prussia. So already like there she has like two different birthdays two different death days because um some people went by the gregorian calendar some people went by a different calendar so if you're like that's not what she was born there are two different calendars at play here i didn't even bother writing on the second day because i just don't care (laughs) (laughs) her mother johanna 17 years old was an aristocratic heiress and her father christian 39 was a minor prince of Germany or Prussia at the time. So there's like the Prussian Empire. And it's like a really big place and like some parts turn into Germany, some parts turn into Poland. So again, it's a lot, I'm just going to call it Prussia, but a lot of these people like kind of have like 
German pride, you know, so that's what you need to know. Um, and when I say minor prince, it basically meant that he was the prince of a really small principality within the Prussian Empire. They had about 20,000 residents, so it would be like being the prince of Martinsburg, West Virginia. Not the state, just the town of Martinsburg, which I looked it up, and they have about like 17,500. I feel like I could do that job. Yeah. Well, I could be the prince of Martinsburg, West Virginia. I mean, <laughs> the princess. No, no, no. The prince. The prince. I could be the prince of Martinsburg. <laughs> Guys, call me. Call me so, if you <laughs> So that's Papa. Um, now, Mama Johanna was a touch socially ambitious. <laughs> she had this dream of birthing a son who would rule the world one day. But alas, she had a useless daughter, and she ah! made sure to remind young Catherine of that fact on a regular basis. Oh she told her that she was not only not going to be useful to the family, but she also wasn't pretty. So Catherine, um, she was like, she was like, I'm going to have a really hard time marrying you off. Okay. <laughs> this disgusts me. She goes, I'm, I'm going to try my best. Okay. This reminds me of Eleanor Roosevelt's mother. Yeah, it sucks. Oh my God. Um, who's actually the horse. And yeah, I don't know. Also, I do want to say like her name is Sophie at this time, but just to keep things straight in everybody's heads, I'm call just going to call her Catherine. Uh, so they didn't have the best relationship. Um, and it also didn't help that Catherine wasn't quite like an ideal daughter in Johanna's mind. She was clumsy and a bit of a tomboy and she preferred, you know, playing with swords to doing her needlepoint. <laughs> but she was also very smart. She loved to read. She loved to learn. She picked things up really quickly. She was incredibly self-motivated. Now, again, Johanna didn't have much faith in what her daughter could accomplish, but she did have faith in what a well-planned marriage could do for a young girl. Johanna would drag Catherine all over Europe to get her name out there on the marriage market. Again, reminding Catherine that marriage was her only chance of living a decent life. If they couldn't find a husband for her, it would be off to the convent. <laughs> and what makes this even more funny is that people really liked Catherine from a very young age. When she was eight years old, she was so charming to people that, like, she would get invited to dinners by herself. Like, parties that her mother was not invited to, the the thing would be, like, to, you know, Sophie Augusta, <laughs> like, alone not your crazy fucking mother no plus one she's like the 18th century drew barrymore just like <laughs> out at the clubs by herself <laughs> wow um, <laughs> but people liked her so much because again she's really bright and she figured out from an early age that to be a good conversationalist means to be a good listener and during one of these visits across Europe, when she was just 10 years old, she officially met the boy that she was going to marry, 11-year-old Peter Ulrich, the grandson of Peter the Great. So he's Peter the Third, the next leader of Russia. Well, at this point in history, he was actually, like, in a weird way, supposed to be the next king of Sweden. <laughs> but nothing was set in stone yet. I don't know. It was all very weird. Um... And I want to be clear, the marriage wasn't even set in stone yet. Like, this is just a meeting that they had when they were younger. Like, they didn't really 
know that they were supposed to get married, um, but Catherine was not a fan of him. Oh, like in that opening scene to Sleeping Beauty? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, he was pale and sickly and neurotic, and Catherine said that he already had an unseemly alcohol addiction. He was like 11 years old. What do we mean sickly? Did he have that blood thing? No, he didn't have the blood thing, um, but he was just... I want to make this clear. He was not very well taken care of as a child. Oh, neglected. He was very neglected. He had tutors that would abuse him. Like, I'm not saying this excuses his behavior later on, but he was not given, like, a great start to the world. He was both pampered and ignored. Like, really bad combination. Um, And again, he had a... He was an alcoholic when he was a child. That, like, stunts your growth and, like, kills you. Yeah. So that's what I mean by sickly. Like, I mean, he's, like, not doing well. He has really poor health. He's an Because he's an alcoholic. Oh, my God. As a child. Um, So either way, uh, it was not love at first sight. But Catherine did kind of like the ring because, of course, it was mentioned. Like, you know, maybe I could be the queen of Sweden one day. That'd be kind of cool. Um, so we leave Peter for now. And the husband search is still on. Because the thing is, Catherine's family was not very wealthy. Remember, her dad's the Prince of Martinsburg, West Virginia. <laughs> so <laughs> he doesn't have any real family money. They basically just put on a good show of wealth with funds coming in actually from Johanna's side of the family because she is more of like the aristocracy. So her siblings are kind of other places making money and they're kind of putting her up. So she married low. Yes, she married lower. So in order to elevate the entire family, the pressure was really on Catherine to marry well. But the good news is, as she grew older and more into herself, she became like the most desirable bachelorette across Europe. And she ended up getting a lot of marriage proposals. Some bad ones, like, this is disgusting, her uncle proposed that they get married johanna's brother what did you fall <laughs> i know what what a weirdo um gross but yeah. johanna was like, like a little finger Ew. yeah yeah <laughs> but johanna was like i think there's something bigger coming so she's like i'm gonna hold out for the big fish <laughs> and they were delighted to get an invitation to russia from the empress herself elizabeth petrovna the daughter of peter the great and she invited her to talk about a potential marriage between Peter and Catherine. Now, it might seem out of the blue, um, but again, she's very marketable <laughs> this time, Catherine. And Elizabeth knew about their family because she had almost married a different one of Johanna's brothers. <laughs> okay. So she was like, hey, I actually really like them. I wonder, like, you know, what their daughter's up to. <laughs> so... I also want to say this is something I did not know before that Russia already had this very powerful female empress. So we're obviously going to talk about her for a minute. Um, Again, without going into a deep history of Russia, but she was the daughter of Peter the Great. And when he died, a one-year-old baby became the emperor. This is Ivan. And Elizabeth was like, that's dumb. I'm much more qualified than a baby. And she basically cooed the baby Ivan when he was two years old and imprisoned him oh. and never let him out. Uh, 
Well, like she should have been like queen regent for like till right. he was eighteen or something. Right, something. Yeah. So now, do I think an eighteen-year-old boy should like no, be, no, 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 uh, no, no. But still, no. yeah. So she crowned herself empress in seventeen forty-one. And reigned for about 20 years. She made in the Iron Mask that yeah, day. Yeah, she really did. <laughs> that. So we'll obviously have to dedicate a whole other episode to her because she's fascinating. But the other thing to know about Elizabeth is that she never got married. So she didn't have an heir. And this is where Peter comes in. Peter was her nephew who was raised in Prussia. So the same area, actually, as Catherine, which is interesting. And she kind of thought, well, why not him? He's my blood, so he can carry on the Romanov dynasty. But since nobody really knows him here in Russia, he's not a threat to my power now. Like, no one's going to kill me to put him on the throne. But I'm saying that he already has it next. So he was brought to Russia to inherit the Russian Empire, which he was pretty upset about. Peter hated Russia, hated everything about it, and he just always wanted to go back home to Prussia. It's so cold. Yeah. He's like, I hate it here. This is so dumb though. I can't speak the language. (laughs) He just was not having a good time, but she needed an heir and he needed a wife. So here we are after a long and treacherous journey. The Augusta girls enter the Russian empire and Elizabeth took to Catherine immediately. She thought, God, this girl is intelligent and attractive, but also respectful. And she really listens. People like her. She reminds me a bit of someone I know. (laughs) So Catherine and Elizabeth are getting along, but Johanna is there and she's acting like the whole thing is about her. (laughs) She bought herself all of these new clothes and all of this stuff. And she didn't buy anything for Catherine. So Catherine's arriving in these like, you know, dresses from last season. And there's Johanna all decked out in all this new silk. People are like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And then she just throws herself into the Russian court and just starts stirring up shit. And she's like, what's the goss? I want to know. I want to be involved in all of this. Spill the tea. But this got her into a ton of trouble. She eventually got kicked out of Russia, Catherine's mother, by Elizabeth because they discover that she is spying on the Russian court for the king of Prussia. How are you going to marry to this family? (laughs) Thankfully, this didn't fuck up Catherine's life because she was already beloved (laughs) by Elizabeth and Russia because she had taken kind of the opposite course of her mother. She threw herself into the culture. She learned about the history of the country. She learned the Russian language, which again, Peter's not even doing. And he is the heir to the throne. (laughs) And A lot of people, including Empress Elizabeth, really respected her for this. And so on Catherine's 15th birthday, she entered the court glittering in diamonds that had been gifted to her by the Empress, which signified to everyone that she was a part of them. Oh, MIA. Yeah. It was like. Mother and aunt. uh Uh-huh. She was just like, Elizabeth was like, this bitch is ours now. Like, I am claiming her. She is Russian. 
Um, but of course I had to like do it on paper too. <laughs> so she officially converted to the Russian Orthodox church from Lutheranism. Um, and she got her new Russian name, Ekaterina or Catherine, which is the anglicized version, uh, after Elizabeth's mother, which I thought was really interesting. I kind of feel like Elizabeth was the mother figure that Catherine never had because her mom was such a dick <laughs> and well, Catherine didn't have kids. Or Elizabeth didn't Elizabeth have kids. Elizabeth didn't have kids, so yeah. So she's also, like, adopting this girl. Like, yeah. Like, you could be as good as me. Exactly. Even though I'm this guy in my bloodline. Exactly. Um, so, of course, like, a lot of mother-daughter relationships, it will get messy later. But for right now, they're really close. <laughs> and then on August 21st, 1745, Catherine and Peter officially marry at 15 and 16 years old. The ceremony lasted four hours. <laughs> And there was quite a grand procession. No expense was spared because this was the first royal wedding that Russia had seen in a long ass time. Like this was very exciting and very glamorous. And now she is officially the Grand Duchess of Russia. And of course, we love a Grand Duchess. (laughs) They're the best ones. So she is thrilled to be an official member of the royal family. She loves Russia. But she is less thrilled with her new husband. (laughs) It wasn't just their miserable and uneventful wedding night. Uh, He was apparently a miserable black hole of a person who sucked the joy out of every room and apparently told Catherine very drunkenly on their wedding night that she was his property now and he could beat her whenever he liked. I'm sure she looked at his like sickly little arms and thought like, I'd love to see you try. (laughs) But Again, Peter was just an alcoholic who was really mad about everything, but he was especially mad at Catherine because he was like, why aren't you miserable with me? He thought that they would connect because they were both from Prussia, you know? And he goes, yeah, we're in this foreign land. Like, isn't Bratwurst so much better than Borscht? Like, blah, 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 blah. We should totally run away back to Prussia. Am I right? But Catherine was like, actually, I love it here. And as her popularity grew, his obviously waned or never existed. (laughs) Oh, my God. Surround yourself with good people. I know. So even though, again, people really liked Catherine, especially Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth was starting to get a little impatient. Um, She was upset that Catherine wasn't pregnant with an heir yet. And Catherine was like, I'm trying, but... Peter keeps saying that he doesn't want to see me and he keeps just like taking a bunch of Russian soldiers into his quarters and playing weird games with them. Like he would dress up the soldiers like Prussian shoulder soldiers and he would play with the men as like play battle with them, like have them acted out like live action role play, like LARP in his room. He's LARPing. He is, but only just directing it a pioneer um so he she was like he's doing that weird shit um and then if i do get in bed with him he wants to play puppets or he brings his toy soldiers in she's like not super sexy so he's like emotionally scarred yes this kid yes and then she's like like he's married at 16 16 yeah Yeah. again there's your children um and then when we do try she said nothing happens you know and when peter's confronted about this he goes oh i mean it's just because uh i'm just out of sex i'm doing it to all the other women of the court you know who are much prettier than Catherine. so i'm just tired i'm just out of it i'm just out of sex i'm having so much of it 
Now, this might be a Marie Antoinette situation. Some people speculate that they just literally didn't know the mechanics of it. Because, again, like, these are two virgins being thrown into a room together. And they say, make a baby. And they're like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) So he's like, here are my toys. Um, So they did eventually hire a woman to basically show Peter the ropes. Um, And I do think there was some, like, physical stuff going on. Again, because he's... A raving alcoholic and he's very weak he's sick a lot um but so they are like i think trying and then <laughs> Catherine is also a virgin so they basically arrange for Catherine to also take a lover they're like we're gonna get you a mister <laughs> and this will be your boyfriend because like, you have to get pregnant one way or another enthralled i like i cannot believe this so she embarks or is forced on her first love affair with a man named sergey saltikov who was kind of a hot name yeah yeah saltikov am i right um <laughs> that's what i thought of every time someone said his name um and he is truly the first love of Catherine's life i think obviously it started off kind of awkward um but they did grow to really care for each other and she did start to get pregnant um but like a lot of women at the time she would miscarry a lot and then Almost a decade later, on October 1st, 1754, she finally gave birth to a son named Paul. Many historians do believe this to be Peter's child, uh, based on his future sickly nature and awful attitude, but Catherine (laughs) never thought that he was Peter's. It was a long and difficult childbirth, and this was made even worse by the fact that once Paul came out, Elizabeth cut the umbilical cord and ran off with the baby, leaving Catherine completely alone. Her baby was stolen. Pretty much. Like, she never, I don't think she even got to, like, hold it, hold him after he was born. Ooh. Like, she just kind of took him. I mean, she didn't see him again for another week, Ooh. her child. And she's just feeding this baby, (laughs) but wet nurse, definitely. Um, but yeah, and it seemed to be kind of how the whole court was feeling. They were like, yeah, well, why would we care about you? We have Paul to carry on in case anything happens to Peter. Like you've done your job. Thank you. Womb. (laughs) She's like, I'm more than a womb, but she's a lamb for slaughter. Yeah. Yeah. Then, so she's having a hard time with this whole birth thing. Uh, and feeling abandoned. And then she finds out that Sergey, this man that she had basically kind of like not been forced, but like been really encouraged, to like start up this relationship, her first real relationship and lost her virginity and too, lost her virginity too. Yeah, no, definitely that. Um, possibly the father of her child, um, has been having affairs with other women this whole time. And she thought like a lot of people do in their first relationship. She's like, I thought I was special. I thought I was his only one. You know, she's like, obviously, I wasn't really having much of a relationship with my husband, so I wasn't seeing anybody else. Right. So, like, he's, like, a baseball player, and that's his Russia girl. But then when he goes to other cities, he has other girls. Yeah. He is not... She's just not the only one he's sleeping with. Well, no wonder she was having so many miscarriages that she probably had chlamydia. Probably. Like, she didn't know. And I think that was the worst part. She's like, if if I had just known about this ahead of time, I probably wouldn't be feeling so fucking devastated. Well, that makes you feel stupid. It does. That's the problem. And then after the baby was born, 
Sergey went back to his hometown and bragged about how he was the father of the next emperor of Are Russia. Are they going to behead this guy? Nope. <laughs> nope. Listen, um, if I was Elizabeth, I would take that guy's head in a yeah. sack. A sack. So she was gutted. She really loved him. Uh, and now she is really alone in this big Russian palace. Uh, and she just kind of sunk into a bit of a depression. Um, just remaining alone in her quarters. And she just kind of started reading. And then she is reading a lot of like philosophy and a lot of Voltaire. And one day she thinks, you know what? This can't be the end of my story. I am not going to just be a womb of history. She was like, I am going to fucking do something. There must be more than this provincial yeah, exactly. life. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> and it was really a line from Voltaire that encouraged her. He said, the longer we dwell on our misfortunes, the greater their power is to harm us. And she was like, yeah, I'm not going to let this disappointment overcome me she's like i am going to fucking do something i don't want to live i want to thrive i want to fucking rule so this is the montage moment <laughs> she's getting herself together she's on the treadmill reading a book oh you didn't so i am the tiger <laughs> exactly so then she calls the dressmaker and she goes, I want you to make me the most gorgeous, sickening blue velvet dress with gold embroidery that you've ever seen. And he makes it. She gets all dolled up and she goes, I know exactly when I'm going to walk in the fucking room. Peter's having a birthday party. <laughs> Her shit husband. And she marches into his birthday party and people are gasping. They're fainting. They're like, who the fuck is this? It can't be Catherine because she's a mom now. And Catherine's like, yeah, I'm a mom and I'm also hot. So back the fuck off. <laughs> yes, queen. <laughs> and she is walking around this party. She's telling funny jokes. She's fucking making fun of people. She's telling jokes in Russian. Exactly. Which, which he do. can understand. And she's snickering. And she is snubbing people who hurt her left and right. She's oh. like, oh, you thought I was so nice and polite before? Well, you snubbed. Okay. I love a grudge holder. I oh. love a grudge holder. I like to imagine this scene as like the Chanel boot scene from Devil Wears Prada. Where, oh, like, yeah. someone is, like, quietly seething. <laughs> Everyone in the room is seething. The party was a success. And everyone at court is talking about her, which is exactly what she wanted. And this basically starts her slow and methodical rise to power. She basically used the rest of the 1750s to establish herself and establish relationships within court and beyond with people in power she knew she wanted to rule someday so she's basically using this time to pick her team she's like who is going to be useful for me when the throne is up for grabs basically when elizabeth kicks the bucket so she starts seeking friends and lovers she took on two key lovers during these years uh stanislaw pontiaski who would end up being the future king of P Poland, which is interesting, um, and Grigory Orlov. 
who was one of the other great loves of her life, and he is a key part in her uprising. Orlov and his family were a big part of gaining the trust of the powerful people in court and government. They're like, we know Russia, so we will help you navigate this because, you know, I know that you're learning a lot, but there's something to be said for experience, you know? So he's like, I'm going to fucking help you. She's getting a first mate. Mm-hmm. So then she starts to get her friends. Oh, so she, she gets her friends together and now she's got to get her money. One of her other tactics on her rise at the top was fundraising. She was basically, again, hobnobbing with rich people. And she was like, if you donate some money to me, I will make sure to take care of you when I'm empress. So she's getting these donations from people who like the idea of this future empress. She's doing a GoFundMe. Mm -hmm. And she is using these donations very wisely. Number one, she's hiring informants to spy on people in the palace to gain intel and leverage. And she is also forwarding some of that money to keep people in the military because she knew from her research that you don't get anything done in Russia without the military behind you. So she's like, hey, Mr. General, like, here's a donation from me, not Peter. And they're like, okay, like (laughs) they're very into this. But it wasn't just bribery. She was also treating the people around her with respect, no matter their position. So the people who were Team Catherine were really Team Catherine. They really believed in her and they respected her and they liked her ideas because she could string together a very coherent sentence (laughs) when she was saying (laughs) things that people liked. (laughs) So... She was like a good politician. Yeah, she was. I imagine she kind of had like, you know how when people talk about like Bill Clinton, they're like charismatic. Yeah, he's so charismatic. Like when he, Bill Clinton's talking to you, like you feel like you're the only person in the room. Yeah. Like he like I, walks away and forgets you. Yeah, exactly. He has no idea who you are because he's a fucking sociopath. Right, exactly. So <laughs> I, <laughs> I think that she had kind of a similar thing going on, you know, like she was so charming. So just, I don't know charismatic yeah um that people she just made people believe in her so while Catherine's doing all this and again making her slow kind of tentacly rise to power <laughs> peter's definitely on his way down <laughs> he's making a real scene at court um he's having an affair with this woman uh who's also her name is elizabeth which is confusing <laughs> but everyone really hated this woman she was like the girl who gets too drunk at every party and like throws up on you like not just the one who so like me? maybe <laughs> no you don't throw up you don't throw up that's true. I just you do it loud. alone i get loud and if you do you do it alone <laughs> yeah that's true she's like oh, oh sorry and then she like keeps drinking and throws up on she's you like again knocking over people's expenses yes shit. Yeah. exactly so <laughs> He's doing that. Um, And also, he is continuing to play dress up in his Prussian army uniform and telling everyone how much he loves Prussia. And he goes, oh, I hate Russia. This country sucks. And he's only speaking in German. And I want to say this is an especially bad time to do this because they are in the midst of the seven years war against Prussia. (laughs) So... He's doing all of this. People are like, wow, I really fucking hate that guy. <laughs> and 
Catherine is also getting even more sick of him. He keeps telling her that as soon as he's emperor, he's going to shave her head and throw her in a convent. She goes, God, why does everybody want to put me in a fucking convent? Um, Apparently they were a time to be at. Apparently. They were the greatest. So all this is going on. And then in 1757, Catherine is pregnant and she gives birth to a baby girl, Anna. So we think that this is uh, one of Grigory Orlov's uh, children. This little girl, though, would only live to be 15 months old. Oh, and what a devastating thing. I know. And this one really crushed Catherine. I think she really wanted to raise a little girl to be strong like her. And so after that, she demanded that no one speak of Anna. She's like, we don't talk about her. It's like she never existed. I was like, okay. We don't talk about Anna. No, no, no. no. Exactly. So more time goes by, more plotting, and eventually Elizabeth is not doing so hot. <laughs> uh, the, no. <laughs> the official diagnosis <laughs> was hysteria. And her treatment was marmalade-covered laxatives served with an orange blossom tea. Can I so get it? So if you want a hint as what her cocktail is going to be, when <laughs> um, <laughs> we do her. <laughs> no, Katie. But what she probably had was ovarian cancer. And oh. what the... Not Hysteria. The, 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 the thing that to treat that is not pooping. I guarantee you. I'm not a doctor, but... <laughs> And I don't know, a good poop can feel good all That the is day. true. Uh, but on January 5th, 1762, the Empress passed away. And I think that Catherine may have gone for the crown immediately, but she was a bit busy at the time. She was trying to hide the fact that she was seven months pregnant with Grigory Orlov's child. Seven months pregnant is a hard thing to hide. Uh, yeah, it's like we're not the on a word? sitcom. You can't just you put can a hide. box in front of it. I'm going to wear a big jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where's my pea coat? No, she created the Empire Waste Dress. Um, so, <laughs> oh, really? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm, like, I'm oh kidding. God, that's possible. <laughs> you never know. She was an empress. Um, exactly. Um, so, you heard it here first. She did she, not. <laughs> no, she did not. <laughs> So she wanted to keep this one secret because there was no way in hell that she was passing this one off as Peter's. Everyone knew that they hadn't had sex in years. Again, the last time she was pregnant and giving birth was 1757. This is 1762. So there's a big span of time where we know that they are definitely not having sex. The whole castle knows. They won't even, I don't even think they're see like talking other. to each they're other. Not each other. <gasps> so no, definitely not. Um, and she was like, I don't want this to be a problem for what I'm about to do. Because again, she's like, if I have another kid, this could be a reason, even though like everybody knows about these affairs, they're very public. They could use this. If everything goes kind of haywire as a reason to like execute me, they're like, Oh, well like, you know, you're Cheated having another baby. Yeah, exactly. Like you're whatever. Um, so she also knew that she couldn't stage the coup seven months pregnant. So <clears throat> a lot was going on. So she just laid in wait. And maybe this was for the better because if anyone had any lingering hope that Peter the third might've been a good leader, they were sorely mistaken. Uh, things didn't start off too good. Um, he was seen partying at Elizabeth's funeral, literally 
dancing. At his mother's funeral? This is his aunt. Aunt, 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 aunt. But again, like the mother of Russia, she was the empress for 20 years. And he's singing and dancing during her funeral procession. He's drunk. He's being an asshole. Like... It's like, dude, read the room. Nobody is happy about this except for you. And you don't even want to be emperor. Right. You hate this country. Go what the away. Hell is wrong with you? Go away. So now that he is emperor, he kind of sets out to like destroy Russia from the inside out. And the first step in that plan is to end the seven years war by basically conceding to Prussia. Even though Russia was currently winning the war And so they go, they have these peace talks and he doesn't quite realize that like what a power position they were in. So the King of Prussia is like, okay, well like, yeah, let's settle this peace and all that. And he goes, and like, you know, we'll give you this whole big track of land, you know, as like, you know, in the peace talks, Peter goes, no, come on. I couldn't No, you guys keep it. No, that's your land. So he gives up all of this land to the enemy. And then he demands that the court and the army and everyone in Russia toast to the king of Prussia. What? That would be like when <laughs> when um, France was like negotiating with TJ to get the Louisiana purchase. If he was like, no, you keep it, France, you silly France. Exactly. That's insane. Yeah. This is like... Co- the <clears throat> colonial time in history. This oh, is yeah. like when land is the only thing that determined how power you, how powerful you were. Yeah. What an idiot. And this move turned a lot of people against Peter, the army, obviously, but mostly the citizens of Russia. They had spent the last seven years losing loved ones in a war that now seemed completely pointless because he gave up. Anything that they were fighting for. Right. And it's also like, I'm not supporting, like, you should go and take other countries' land. Yeah, no. But it was just for him an idiot political move. Yeah. It was, and it was just like a slap in the face to the people of Russia. They're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's like, you told us you you love this. You love this other country so much that you're going to fuck us over? And then he royally pissed off the church by. giving more land that they owned away to Prussia. So he not only (laughs) just gave this other land, he gave all this land that the church owned away to them. Is he trying to be the king of Prussia? I don't know. It's so crazy. So he gives all this land away. And then in a weird power move, he forces all the priests to cut their beards off. He bans beards. (laughs) And because he wanted them to look more Lutheran because Oh, he had to switch his that religion. was his religion back Wait, home. what year is this? Just the straight 1762. razor? 1762. The straight razor yeah. doesn't exist yet. Uh, I would think it does. No, because all of our presidents since the invention of the straight razor have not had beards. So, like, 1800s. Ooh. Oh, I guess it's, like, just, like, swords and shit. Yeah, like, grant. it's, like, a, it's not, like, this type of razor. It's, like, a, like a knife type of razor, like Zach uses, like a barber would use and that's called a straight razor no i think a straight razor is the kind that you i don't know since the invention of the straight razor none of our presidents have had beards <laughs> and i feel like grant had a beard and he was 1800 i feel like he was the only one president with a beard yeah right maybe i don't know that's a fact i read on buzzfeed though so 
<laughs> chalk it up to them. I mean, George Washington, I don't, I've never seen him with a beard. In portraits, but I mean, he was always out fighting and shit. Oh, okay. You think he was shaving on the front line? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> these men just had bared hair growth. Who knows? Anyway, banning beards is a weird thing. That's a very mm-hmm. like private school thing to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. No facial um, hair. And then he removed all the religious relics in all the churches except for the Virgin Mary. <laughs> He's just really firing all cylinders here. Um, In the span of a few weeks, he had turned the church, the army, and the people totally against him. (laughs) And, of course, he's not doing so hot with his wife either. Um, He kept true to his promise to make her life a living hell. Did he make her cut her hair off, though? No, 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 no. He didn't do that, thankfully. But he's just mocking her and putting her down whenever he can. And she is like, I have got to play this cool because i've got to show people that like i'm not letting him get to me so she keeps her head up she's just going on and one ambassador wrote back to his country he was like i can't believe her strength he was like she's doing really well um and i believe that the people here love her more than him oh my god (laughs) he's like throwing he is Kanye West on exactly. social media right now, and she's Kim Kardashian. Mm-hmm. Like, I cannot believe she's not lashing out. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, okay, you keep being crazy. I'm going to be the level-headed one, and we'll see where this gets us. Because I'm going to keep custody of my children. Exactly. <laughs> she's like, I'm going to keep custody of Russia if you keep acting like a psycho bitch. Exactly. In April, she gave birth secretly to her second son, Alexei. Not even Peter knew that she had given birth uh, because someone (laughs) on her team distracted him by setting a small fire in his bedroom on the other side of the palace. So he is taking care of that (laughs) because, of course, like childbirth is painful as fuck. So she's like screaming her head off um, no matter how much vodka they put in her. Um, And (laughs) so Alexi's out and she kind of sends him away to be taken care of and just raised by different people while she plans to take over the country she's like it's about to get messy and i want him to be safe so she and orlov had obviously been planning this for a long time but it was still a little tricky i mean throwing out a universally hated leader is still a huge risk especially the biggest country in the world exactly it's like you know you have the support of all of like the leaders of the army or whatever like all the head honchos so that what that's a couple people you have armies of people who maybe they are super loyal to peter you just don't know how this is going to go you also have members of the court who like i mean i'm in a good position now like why would i go with you in a coup and also like there's no television yeah. So it's like the people in the outskirts, they, they have no, no idea, idea what's like, going okay, on. Peter's the king. <laughs> they have no idea that he's being psycho and drunk yeah. at parties mm-hmm. and like that she's being level headed. And even if he is, we do have TV and yep. we saw a president that was being crazy and psycho yep. and, and half the people were still like, no, it's fine. No, we love it. We love Good. it. <laughs> I mean, so like what you can't convince an entire country of that size to all believe the same thing. Right. This is dangerous. So it's still risky. And if if the right person finds out at the wrong time, then she could get beheaded for treason. Like right. I want to make that clear because it kind of sounds like, Oh yeah, everybody just wanted her to be Empress, but no, there are still a lot of people who are like, no, it should be Peter. Like God ordained him. Right. Like, no manifest destiny bitches. Yeah. So all this is happening. 
And then on July 8th, 1762, Catherine is woken up in the middle of the night to news that one of her conspirators had been found out by someone who was on Peter's side, like the worst case scenario. And their long awaited plan was unraveling. And basically like the person told her, they're like, it's now or never. We either do the coup, rally the people and take the fucking crown from Peter or we don't do anything and Peter finds out and you get beheaded because Peter doesn't know anything yet. You know, this is just someone higher up. It's like, right. wait, what the what? Like, yeah. <laughs> and thus the coup began. She wore black. So she just immediately starts going out to the military and she is going regiment by regiment, like out to their little posts and she is gaining the support of the soldiers themselves. She is like, we can do better. We can build a better Russia. Come with me. And they are yelling, Matushka, Matushka, which basically means little mother. And they're kissing the hem of her skirt. And they're like, yes, like we are with you. So she starts gathering these men and she's walking through like the streets of St. Petersburg and people are like kind of joining in this parade who want her to be empress. And then she goes around to the churches and she's like, church leaders, I can do better. And they're like, yeah, we think you can too. And they join. It's like a parade in the streets of St. Petersburg. Because have you heard? Have you heard? (laughs) (laughs) And she's doing this big procession, this big, very bold show of power. And then she has these letters of, it's a declaration of her power, and she's sending them to every corner of Russia. So as soon as possible, before it's even actually official, everyone will know what she has done. And if you're wondering what Peter's doing, (laughs) drinking! He's at another palace. And he's getting really upset because something has happened and the party that he planned for himself is not happening. He's like, no one's here. Where is everybody? Oh my god! No one showed up. I hate it. This is like John Raphael from (laughs) Parks and Rec. He's a mess. So someone comes in and they're like, hey, no one's at this palace because everyone's at the other one because Catherine is staging a coup. And he goes, oh, my God, my bitch wife, ball and chain. Am I right? And everybody's like, eh. yeah. And <laughs> we so like her. he's like, OK, can a couple of you guys just like go calm her down? Tell her to just pump the brakes. Like, I'll be right there. You know, she's probably just having her monthlies. <laughs> just can you just go and calm her down? So he sends like a couple of soldiers And Peter doesn't even have them get, like, real weapons. They're using, like, their wooden parade swords. They're morphing swords. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And they go, and people are like, no. And they go, oh, okay. And they kind of back off. And then when Peter finally arrives to the Capitol to see what's going on, he's immediately arrested. And he's taken into custody. And basically, Catherine's like, okay, I have him now. And she gets dressed in a Russian military uniform and she goes out riding on a horse and tells the troops that it's happening. She is their leader now. And she sends Peter the abdication papers and says, it's over. That's a, what a wild divorce. <laughs> Not just like, 
here are my divorce papers. It's yep. like sign the abdication to the throne to yeah. me, Bama. So he signs it. And of course he starts to grovel a bit and he's asking for mercy and forgiveness and he didn't mean it. Like, I know I wasn't going to shave her head. Obviously I didn't. You still have hair. But Catherine doesn't really respond. And she's like, no, you're going away. I'm not going to kill you. But you're going into exile. Like I will, like you can't be here. Where does he go? Siberia? So, who knows? Just, you know, uh, exile. It's like a small palace. <laughs> <laughs> um, she allows him to take his dog, but she refuses him his mistress. So he's kind of pissed about that. I don't know. Remember Hortensia? Was she the one who was put in exile? Hortensia. Like, oh, yeah. Who was yeah. put in exile on that, like, Grecian oh, island. Yeah, yes. She was the like, island of Lesbos I or need, something. I like, fucking food, guys. <laughs> like, I'm dying. <laughs> no, he still had servants and guard, like, and his so dog. Being, I mean, yeah. Catherine is being so pleasant. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, she did overthrow his government and take his throne, but like, yeah, she deserved it anyway. So like, no, we're not sure if the plan was always to kill Peter, but oh he God. did end up dead eight days later. Do you think this is what Hillary Clinton would have done if she was in monarchy? <laughs> oh, yes. Not oh, just from yes. like Donald, but like also from her husband. Oh, for <laughs> like sure. Like her actual husband. For sure. The sociopath, the aforementioned yeah. <laughs> So... He's dead eight days later. Right. Um, uh, How? Appa- apparently, Catherine found out via a note that said, the monster is dead. Wait, did he, like, fall down the steps? Okay. <laughs> okay. The official cause of death was severe hemorrhoids. Come now. But he had strangulation marks around his neck, so... <laughs> Don't think that's true. Um, but apparently it did become a joke around Europe. Like if a leader was like killed in exile, they'd be like, oh, did he get hemorrhoids? <laughs> and it became like kind of a joke. Is like that what, if- <laughs> Is that what we should say about what's his face? Who? <laughs> the guy who got hanged and hanged himself in jail. Epstein, yeah. yes. Epstein got, got real bad hemorrhoids. hemorrhoids. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um I there are, of course, a lot of versions of this story, one being that it truly was an accident, like she didn't mean for him to die, but of course he's probably being a brat and he got into a fist fight with a guard and like died. <laughs> um, and then others, of course, say that Catherine directly ordered it, like we'll never really know um, how much she knew, how much she didn't know. Yeah, I don't know. But it was in her interest for her, um, for him to be dead because- even if he is in exile, if there is a living heir to the throne, people can rally behind them and coo her. Because obviously everybody's cooing left and right in Russia at this time. It's bananas. You gotta do something. So on September 22nd, 1762, Catherine held her official coronation and crowned herself, which I love the image of because we said it with Elizabeth too, but... No one put the crown on the emperor or empress. They put the crown on themselves, which I love the image of. And this is a dope-ass crown. She had it designed. It is still the imperial crown of Russia. So every monarch after her wears this crown. It is a nine-pound crown Whoa. with 5,000 diamonds and pearls and rubies and it's basically like an orb cracking open and there's like velvet inside and like a cross coming out of it it's 
insane. And again, nine pounds. She said she got quite a headache afterwards. <laughs> um, and she sets about her plan to build a modern Russia. But it wasn't as easy as she thought. Um, she kind of came in guns blazing with all of her ideas and the things she wanted to change. But it all got kind of bogged down in these committees and people's own selfishness and the bureaucracy of it all. And it just kind of started to bum her out. And she just kind of keeps getting turned down and people start to notice. And they're like, I give it a year. Like people are kind of losing faith. They're like, hmm, yeah, right. Like good intentions, this good intentions, that like, but where's the action? Like, like I'm trying. Every yeah, exactly. She wanted to build a structure based on the idea of a common good. And she wanted to reform Russia to suit everyone who lived there, not just the wealthy, but the government of Russia is not so interested in this. As we know from people trying to make meaningful change now, the folks at the top who benefit the most from the existing power structure don't typically like it when things start to change. And it doesn't take long for people to be like, oh, you want to free the serfs? No, 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 no. Like, we need to do another coup. We need to get out of here. This is crazy. Right, because then who's going to work for them for free? Exactly. So the new plan was to get baby Ivan out of prison. Remember him? He's still in prison. <laughs> That's so uncomfortable. How old is he and how long is he been in prison? He's 23. He's not socialized. He's no. not really socialized. No. No, he is not. He cannot run a country. I know. Now, should he be still be in prison? Absolutely no. not. And it's also like, yeah, you want that kid to be in charge instead of this able-bodied woman? Like, <laughs> like this, like what? <laughs> oh my gosh. So, <laughs> but this sucks because she starts to hear about these coup attempts and she hears about the plan and she does make the decision to assassinate Ivan and he is 23. So like this poor kid who again has been locked up since he was a baby. He probably didn't even know that he was the fucking emperor for like a day and a half. Like it sucks. And this two assassinations in a row is not a good look for Catherine, especially when she's trying to build this modern society, you know, that like isn't about killing people for no reason. Like it just, it's not looking good. Um, people are like, great, another barbarian queen. Like, this is exactly like what we just had. Like, I don't want this anymore. So she needs to get a handle back on things and she needs to gain some respect again. So she goes to war with Turkey because <laughs> nothing brings people together like a common enemy. And the war actually goes pretty well for them. They are winning. Woohoo! Uh, people are like, yay, Catherine, we love her. But then when they like don't have any money because all the money is being spent on the war, they're like, oh, fuck Catherine, we hate her. Like, she's just going back and forth between a hero and being like a lunatic who's like draining the country's money. Right, so like general politics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, this is the same shit we're dealing with now. <laughs> but what also wasn't super useful at the time uh, was that men kept popping up pretending to be Peter the Third. <laughs> claiming to have survived the assassination and ready to take back russia that's such a russian thing i know to pretend to be like a royal that was like 
definitely killed. Yeah. Like, it's so <laughs> crazy. Again, yeah, real Anastasia vibes here. <laughs> um, so most of them just kind of went away. But there was one who ended up getting like 20,000 people together and again attempting to take the throne. Right, like the town of West Virginia. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 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 Pretty crazy. Um, so there's a lot going on and her personal life gets a little messy uh, when she discovers that her boyfriend of many, many years, the man who helped her get the throne in the first place, Grigory Orlov, is cheating on her. With a 13-year-old girl, and she's like, gross, I won't stand for that, goodbye, and she breaks up with him. She goes, I'm not that kind of girl, I am like a serial monogamist, and he tries to win her back by stealing a golf ball-sized diamond from India and giving it to her as an I'm sorry gift. She takes the diamond, puts it in a scepter, officially donates it to the Russian crown jewels, and says, thank you, next. Thank you. Exactly. Next. Doesn't take him back. It's like, thanks for the ginormous fucking diamond. Um, Sorry, India. Um, And this is still in the Russian crown jewels. It's called the Orlov diamond. Yeah, all of the biggest <laughs> diamonds in the world are in, like, the Russian and the UK crown yeah, jewels. it's crazy. And they're, like, almost all from India. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she does date another guy for a little while, and then she starts to get interested in a different Gregory, uh, Gregory Potemkin. He was kind of an oldie but goodie. Even though he was 10 years younger than her, he had been around for the whole coup era um, and even a little before that. And they had always been very friendly with each other, kind of, you know, acquaintances. But soon they started to chat again. They started to write letters and then they started to spend more time together when he was around. And they develop this really lovely relationship. She found him both mentally and physically stimulating he was also kind of a mystery. He was this military guy, but it wasn't his whole personality. He was also hyper intelligent and really macho. He lost an eye in a bar fight, but he was so insanely handsome that it almost made him like hotter. Like I'm picturing Kurt Russell in that movie where he has an eye patch, like yeah. Escape from L.A. or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Thor did that as as well in the Marvel universe. Yes. Yeah. Just like you're like, oh my God, you are hot. Um, He just like wasn't like any other guy she had met. And she just, I don't know, she really fucking liked him and apparently he also had an elephant like member which she also enjoyed um <laughs> get but we'll get more into that stuff later um and there is of course a rumor that when he was gone or out on town she would use an exact replica she had made of his johnson um <laughs> best kind of rumor best kind of rumor um so they really And we don't know if that's true. It's probably not. But so they really balanced each other out. And he helped her rule Russia. You don't think they had dildos? I think they did. Oh. I just don't know if she had like an exact cast of his dick made. No, that would be weird. Um, I'm not saying she didn't have any. (laughs) Um, But so they balanced each other out really well. He helped her rule Russia. He gave her really great advice. And he could tell her straight up when, like, she was wrong about something. Like, he would be like, hey, like, I know the military, so you should listen to me about this. You know, obviously without being, like, an asshole. But he was like... I love that. Yeah. And they really just... They worked well together. Um, And 
They were together for a long time, and they couldn't have a big, grand, official relationship because, uh, you know, he wasn't a noble. Um, But there was a rumor that they got married in a private little tiny chapel surrounded by their closest friends. You know, historians really battle about this. Like, did they really get married? Because they refer to each other as husband and wife a lot in letters. But... Who knows if it actually happened. Right. Just, it could be like a common law thing um, as well. Yeah. But it was truly a great love. And we have the correspondence to prove it. Like their letters are like super spicy. <laughs> I think these were some of the happiest years of her life. And she got to accomplish a lot during this time. And it, truly the rest of her rule. Like I don't want to say that it was all about Potemkov. You know, it obviously wasn't. She was powerful in her own right. But Because she is the longest reigning female leader of the Russian Empire, from this point on, a chronological timeline doesn't serve us quite as well. So I am going to break from that, and I'm just going to kind of list some of the amazing things she was accomplishing. Um, Okay, so because she wasn't having much luck reforming the whole Russian government, she decided to take a different approach. She chipped away at it piece by piece by starting to reform small areas at a time. She basically um, developed this diplomatic mission where she sent people to all the different small towns and was like, let them tell you what they need. And like these guys went out and they're like, I'm sorry, what do you want us to do? Like, they were so confused by this. And she was like, representative. Yeah, she's like, go to the town. (laughs) Talk to the people. Like, what do they need? Like, do they need more seeds? Do they need horse? Do they need fresh, clean water? Like, do they have enough wells? Like, tell me what the fuck they need. So she would just go to an area, find out what they need. But also... In every area, she goes, well, everybody should have schools, so let's do that. And they should have state-run orphanages, because right now the orphans are just sleeping in barrels uh, where no one's looking after them. So she starts state-run orphanages, she starts schools, and of course, she starts dedicating herself to not only educating (laughs) the poor children of Russia, but also the women of Russia. She establishes the Smolny Institute of Noble Maidens, which is the first state-financed higher education institute for women in all of Europe. Had about 500 students, which is incredible. Um, And she does a lot of reforms with, like, the church, too. Um, And she basically tells the church, like, you're government employees now. And as a government employee... You, since you're not going to pay taxes to me, obviously, like you're like, absolutely not. She was like, but you are going to do work for me. And she basically puts the church in charge of educating like the poor children, which I think is so smart because she goes, yeah, I won't tax you, but I will make you fucking work for me. Like, (laughs) which is something they hadn't really done before. So again, lots of education. It's great. Um, And she is also dedicating herself to Healthcare. That's interesting um, too, because now most churches have schools. I know it is really interesting. Yeah. Um. So she opens up hospitals in these areas so people can get healthcare, and she's bringing in ideas and science from the rest of Europe. Like the rest of the, Europe is in the age of enlightenment. So she's like, let's bring some of that shit over here, and. She's just like, let's be a part of let's this. Let's not be in the dark ages anymore. Right, right. Like, so she is also 
because of all this, a really early believer in vaccines. She had heard about this new technique of inoculation where people were injecting other people with like a bit of smallpox so that their bodies could fight against it, which is like the basic thing of vaccines. Yeah. Like John Adams did that. Yeah, exactly. And so she hears about this thing. She's telling it to people and people rightfully so are like, that's insane. Like you're basically giving a whole bunch of people smallpox. They're going to die. And she's like, no, no, no. It's just like a little bit. So your body knows how to fight it. And they just didn't get it. So she literally stands up in front of a whole bunch of the whole court of Russia. And she goes, great. I'm going to do it for you then right here in front of all of you. And she makes a public spectacle about herself getting the vaccine. She's like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to inoculate my son, Paul. So now you have me and my son getting this vaccine because I want you to know that it's safe and it could save fucking lives. That's like so modern. I I know. And she does it and she survives. Paul survives and they end up vaccinating all these people across Russia. Obviously, like when you're really talking about the grand population scheme, it's not that much, you know, it's a pretty small percentage, but the vaccine did spread a bit and she saved a lot of lives. Like, and she is this big push in like early. It's cool. It's really fucking cool. cool. Um, she also ordered a census for Russia to be like, who actually lives here? And then she was in a meeting one time with a bunch of people and she goes, all right. So like, I do want to focus on this town and this town. She goes, also, where are they exactly? And people were like, well, I don't know. And she goes, well, let's get the map out. And they're like, the map? And she's like, yeah, the map of Russia. And they're like, we don't have one. (laughs) She goes, make a fucking map. And so she creates the first like map of Russia. She goes, where is our land? (laughs) I was going to ask later, how do you get, how do you get the name, the great? But oh, now this I is get it. it. This now is I get it. it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I understand mm-hmm. now. <laughs> um, she also took over the granaries in Russia so that she could make sure that the corrupt people who had been running them weren't overcharging the people of their territories. Um, because again, she's listening to people. People are like, I'm paying X amount for grain and the people in the next town over are paying a lot less than me. What the fuck? And she goes, oh, there's not a standard price for grain. Yeah, we should fucking fix that. That's not okay. (laughs) Like, (laughs) um, so then she invested in more infrastructure. She's building new towns. Um, She's paving roads. She's connecting people from different towns to be like, hey, you make, you know, hands of watches and you make the little numbers. You should get together and make a whole fucking watch. This is great. Um, So she's doing all this and she's encouraging immigration from other countries so that skilled people from those countries can improve the agriculture and the systems in Russia. She goes, wow, we are really bad at like this type of farming like we need more grain so like why don't we bring in people who are really good at growing grain from other countries and they can fix what we're doing wrong and they're like you need more manure um so she again is like accepting the help and the knowledge from other countries she's opening russia up to outside knowledge and influence she seems to be a very big thinker she is she that's exactly what she is um she reforms the police system because she goes look all these policemen who are supposed to be protecting you are not so she (laughs) is like let's get them out of here let's put good people there 
uh, which again, we're still struggling with. Um, and then she was like, also, we need more control over how taxes are being collected because again, there's a lot of corruption and people are paying more in taxes than they should because this is ridiculous. Okay. So (laughs) she's doing a lot. Um, and she's also not opposed to expanding Russia and she takes over part of Crimea near the black sea. She creates universities. She's bringing more scientists to Russia. She's also a huge patron of the arts, she started curating pieces of art from all over the world, which are now stored at the Hermitage Museum at the Winter Palace. She patronized many artists, architects, music- musicians, writers. She wrote a few books herself. Um, and in fact, many people credit her for the establishment of the famous Russian ballet. It may not have become the powerhouse in the world of dance that it is now without her support. Now, as much as she was able to accomplish... Um, there were a couple thorns in her reign, and one of the big ones was the serfdom. We had kind of talked about it earlier, um, but she knew that all of this progress that was being made in Russia was done on the backs of serfs, and she fucking hated that because um, serfdom was basically slavery, but it was a little different in that serfs were tied to the land, right. so they weren't like really supposed to be like you know bought and sold exactly. So it's basically like, oh yeah, you own this land and this person comes with it which was better in a sense because then they were able to maintain their family units right because they weren't like you weren't ripping families apart you know um and she really did hate the surf but like she was like this is ridiculous she goes we have all these people basically enslaved in the largest country in the world this is it was like something like 75 or like 80 percent of like Russian citizens were serfs. It was like not okay. I mean, from my understanding, a lot of serfs, and this isn't necessarily just in Russia, but like you're pretty much told like you can buy your way out of it eventually if you make enough X, Y, Z, which is just the lower class. Exactly. You're just telling the lower class one day you'll make it. Exactly. And you won't. And I mean, obviously they're the way they were treated is way worse than like, you know, yeah. present day first world country lower class but mm-hmm. still it's the same idea of yeah. like telling people you can make it one day without giving them the means to make it yeah exactly so um she kind of mentioned maybe freeing the serfs once or twice during her reign she was like well what if we made a rule that like if you sold your property like your serfs weren't a part of that deal anymore. Like she's like, it could be really gradual like that. Like really slow. Like just if you happen to sell your land and people were like, absolutely not. The idea was like reviled. I mean, it was just, it wasn't going to go anywhere. And the idea of giving up this thing and like potentially like completely crashing the economic system was, it was too much. She, it definitely could have been done. I'm not saying that (laughs) it couldn't have been done, but it was something that she never got to accomplish. And she was really uh, sad about that. Um, the serfs fun fact would not be freed until 1861. Isn't that crazy? crazy. Two years before the slaves were freed here in the U S right. Um, and we also need to mention that like many people in history, there is a problem with Catherine and her treatment of the Jewish people. Basically in 1772, Russia took a large portion of Poland and suddenly had a very large Jewish population. 
Obviously, Jewish people existed in Russia before this, but not in such a great number. Yeah, there's a big anti-Semitic population in Russia. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there started to be some stupid talk of, like, they're here to take our jobs. And, like, we took their land. Like, what are you talking about? So Catherine decided to pass the Pale of Settlement. And she basically created an area just for the Jews like she's like okay like this is no this is like jew territory but also you're not allowed to leave and this was like you know it's like a couple like i think i said like a, like a million kilometers big or something like that like it's definitely not like a small piece of land but like in the grand scheme of things it's small when you're not allowed to fucking leave and at its largest point around 5 million jewish people lived in the pale and it's like it's never good when you're restricting people's movements just never. because of their religion and their ethnicity. Like right, that's no. not fucking okay. And this awful act wasn't undone until 1917. So there was a group of Jewish people, yeah, living in Russia uh-huh. from her reign uh-huh. through 1917, yeah, who could not leave where they were. Yeah, I so mean, I think multiple were, generations. Yeah. And, like, from what I understand, there was, like, some, like, you get passes to go out and things like that. And I don't know if it was as strict up until 1917. Um, I would love to do, like, maybe, like, a Patreon thing about the Pale of Settlement because I'm very curious. But it was on the books. And it's not okay. And so, I don't know. It's super fucked up. And it sucks. Because Catherine did do a lot of cool things. But we also have to color the shitty things that she did. Like, we would love to not talk about that. And there were definitely some things I was listening to and watching that didn't mention this. And I think that that's not okay. No, it isn't okay. Um, So... We have to say Catherine the Great-ish? Exactly. Yeah, because with any big person in history, there's some fucked up stuff that happens. And again, we have to cover it all. So, and I'm sure there's other fucked up stuff that I'm not covering. But again, this is a very long story. We're, we're <laughs> working on it. So now let's talk about some of these wild sexual rumors about Catherine. So she was indeed quite a monogamous person, but as the years went on, that became more difficult. Many men did not like to be the boyfriend of the empress. Even Potemkin, the love of her life, started to tire of being lesser than her. And this is like her big, great love that she secretly married, the Kurt Russell. (laughs) And so they were fighting and, you know, she was like, we would fight over power more than we did over love. And, but it just like, it didn't help that Potemkin was a really jealous person. And I think because he didn't feel a lot of power in the relationship, he always thought it was because she was cheating on him. And he was super jealous of all the men that she was around all the time. And she was like, it's not my fault that I'm the only woman in the room in these big talks. Like, it's not my fault, you know? And, but everything came to a head when he wrote her this really awful letter saying that he just hated being with a woman who's had sex with like 15 men. And this really hurt her feelings. She's like, I know that people around court think I'm a huge fucking slut but I didn't think that you believed them. And she writes him this letter that lists every one of her four previous lovers. And she writes in detail 
the nature of their relationship, which is how we know about it because the letter still exists. And she's like, you want to know about Sergey? This is what happened. You want to hear about Orlov? This is what happened. Like, and it's all like, I loved him. And then the relationship got fucked up. I loved him. And the relationship got fucked up because I'm the empress. Yeah. <laughs> and it's hard for me. I have lots of things to do. Yeah. And she's like, you know, if you want to call me a whore for having sex with four other men, fine. But it's a little double standardy when you have the king of fucking France who has a, a literal harem of like 14 year old girls he's having sex he with. He has a menagerie. Around uh, yeah. It's ridiculous. So after many years of being together, they broke up and it was pretty rough on both of them. But Catherine was like, look, I'm running the largest empire in the world. I can't spend the little free time I have trying to convince you that I'm faithful. You know, she's like, people all around me don't trust me. She goes, I don't need a partner who doesn't trust me. Right. This isn't okay. Uh, she did send him off with a nice severance package <laughs> as she was one to do. She gave him a really important job, basically building a second St. Petersburg in Crimea. Um, she gave him a good bit of money, a small palace, um, which I want to point out that she did with every single one of her exes. She again would say, thank you. Next. She was like, thank you for everything you did for me. Like I really appreciated our relationship. And I think that it's really cool that like she would take care of these people that did mean a lot to her. She didn't just yeah. throw them by the wayside. Like they would usually get around like 500,000 rubles. Uh, very exciting. Um, and so her and um, Polemka, whatever his name was, uh, they would like hook up when he was in town and stuff and they would write letters still. Um, but he did, he would like, find men that he thought could satisfy her and like send them to her be like i approve of this one i think he's really nice <laughs> which is a weird so weird relationship <laughs> um and i think that is what was going on in like the later years of her life and i think that's why she gets a bad reputation because the older she got she was like yeah i don't have the fucking time and energy for these full-blown relationships anymore but i also like having sex and there's right. nothing wrong with that yeah of course so she was having sex with people they were going away and people absolutely judged her for this and they still do think about all of the amazing things we just said that she did and the first people think of her is that she died by fucking a horse and it's so upsetting because, of course, that's not what happened. And right. it's something that was started years after her death. Um, during a different war, French soldiers wanted to, like, demoralize the Russian army. So, like, oh, well, like, you know, your biggest empress, you know, fucked a horse and died, you know. And it was just like a joke on the battlefield that got turned into something that many people believe to this day problem with locker room talk is... i know is it turns into real consequences for women it does. and other people like it's fucked um so i do want to say that like you know she did love having sex but like she wasn't this like insatiable woman that people think she was like she really did just at the end of the day want someone to love well if anybody ever like we see with cleopatra like we know I was she, thinking she about had, like her two so much partners and everybody's yeah. like oh she's a sex queen and, yeah like, any woman that's in power that has a sex life 
is a whore. Exactly. Whereas, like you just said, like the yeah. king of France has a menagerie of people and nobody gives one thought to it. Yeah. And I think the only other reason that like this reputation kind of precedes her is like we do have to address the wild furniture she had. Mm-hmm. She owned some X-rated uh, tables and chairs. Just a little bit of toys. We, and this is like a, fun, a weird thing is like you can't even have sex with this furniture. No, it's know? just like has some phallic things on it like there's like a table that's like propped up with penises and then there's like a chair with vaginas on it It is kind of wild it's like something from please hate these things yeah exactly (laughs) so we don't really have a solid answer for why she had these except for the fact that like she was a collector of art and things so like Maybe she thought of it as art and she's like, that's fucking crazy and weird and rare and I want it. I think maybe she just thought it was good fun. And I don't think she thought that it was going to help spread these rumors about her when she was older. Right. Um, so that's where we're going to leave her love life because it's really not much more than that. You know, there are some whole books dedicated to her love life. And I just think that she did more than that. That's it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> now... Because she is in her middle ages, she has to start thinking about an heir. You might assume Paul because he was the firstborn. Um, But since Paul was exactly like Peter, she kind of hated him. And this led to a very tense relationship with her son where she really didn't want anything to do with him. And he was always trying to get involved. But he was also like actively trying to be like his father because the people around him only told him the good stories. So there's a lot of tension between them. Um, Paul did end up having 10 children, but Catherine decided that she was going to bypass Paul and she became most interested in his two oldest sons. She kind of did what Elizabeth did to her. As soon as they were born, she swooped in and took them away and raised them as her own. She even named them Alexander and Constantine because she aspired for them to be great leaders. It is said that Catherine wanted Alexander to take over Russia when she passed and Constantine to take over the Ottoman empire land that she had taken. And she was certainly grooming them for this job. And I want to be clear. We didn't talk about this much earlier, but because this is Russia, the emperor has the power to pass the throne to whomever they choose. It's not like, it's not the oldest son. And this was something that Peter the Great actually instilled, which I thought was really interesting because that's why Elizabeth got to choose. Um, So this is kind of what she wanted to happen, but things take a bit of a turn. (laughs) So on November 16th, she was found unresponsive in her chambers. She had had a stroke and she passed away the next day on November 17th, 1796 at the age of 67. After 34 years, the golden age of Russia had come to an end. Paul immediately ordered her papers to be burned, leaving no trace of her final wish for her successor. And then to prove his distaste for his own mother and preference for his asshole father even more, he had Peter III dug up from his grave and buried with Catherine. But... Since Peter had never actually been crowned, uh, he didn't feel like going through the official coronation because, again, he hated Russia. He goes, I'm not going to take part in these dumb ceremonies. He actually couldn't legally be buried in the royal tomb. So Paul 
held an official coronation of his for dead. his dusty bones. Maybe, maybe father, his dead stepfather. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, and that was so that him and his his father and his mother could be sealed forever in a tomb. I hate that. They're buried together, which I hate for Catherine. That fucking sucks. And again, all of this made Paul immediately unlikable in the public eye. Because, again, she made a lot of missteps. She wasn't loved by everyone. But overall, she was Catherine the Great. Like, the other name they, like, floated around for her was, like, the Supreme Mother of the Fatherland. Like, they loved her for the most part. Um, And it just, the country is grieving her. And they saw this as just so disrespectful to the Great. This was the first of his many missteps, and within five years of his rule, he was assassinated. But the lineage of Paul would keep the legacy of Catherine the Great alive and well and current. His ten children would go off to marry various royalty all over Europe. Olga Konstantinovna was the granddaughter of Tsar Nicholas I, who was one of Paul's sons. And, of course, one of Catherine's grandsons. Olga would marry George I of Greece, and they would have a son named Prince Andrew of Greece and Denmark, who, of course, would have a son named Philip, who would go on to marry Queen Elizabeth, which brings us to Harry and William. Full Windsor. We got the full Windsor. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Harry and William are direct descendants of Catherine the Great, but not even through Victoria. I can't believe it. From Philip. Isn't that insane? That's really crazy. That's really crazy because I assumed it was a Victoria situation. I did too. I was like, yeah, I'm sure they're related, but I didn't. I love that it's from Philip. I think that's so fucking cool that they are actual direct descendants of her. So the legacy of Catherine the Great lives on. And Russia would not, the world would not be the same without her. I want to make that so clear. Like, she changed the world in a Talk really about significant way. Two of the coolest. You know, matriarchal ancestors of all time. Oh, man. So, yeah. Overwhelming. There we go. Wow. I mean, pretty fucking cool. It was a big story, though. So that was... I think it's all all a big story. Both of them were big stories. I feel like we can hammer this out in 15 minutes, right? Absolutely. All right. Well, we need to talk about these two ladies in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Talk about... Both of them being like politician, military, respected women. Yes. And I want to say two people who chose that lifestyle. Oh, yeah. I think that is a big part of this. It's like they were born into positions or like maybe not exactly Catherine. She was like married into a position where she didn't have to do anything else. She even had the son. She could have just been taken care of in the royal household and yeah done her duty and been gone right princess leia could have done that she didn't have to put herself into politics but both of them did because i think they both had such an insane confidence in themselves and you know because of that she wasn't 
on her planet when it was exploded. Mm -hmm. Like, she was living because of those choices that she exactly. made. And it's not like the people there were at fault for no, the no, no, choices no, no. they made. But it, it, it was always impressive to me to look at the Princess Leia story as the beginning and the end of Star Wars. Yeah. And I think it's a very cool way to look at, like, Catherine. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's the beginning and end of a lot of things. Yeah. Like, we're still seeing her lineage rule Europe. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. And I also think it's interesting that their homelands ceased to exist. Prussia is not, it's not a thing, a thing anymore. No. And what was her planet? Organa? Alderaan. Alderaan. Well, she grew up on, she, she is Organa. Organa. She grew okay. up on Alderaan. Alderaan. Um, but yeah, but due to the changing world, the world that they are trying to make a positive impact on their homelands are non-existent. Well, and I also love that a fiction story gets you the positive, like, ends that you want. Like, in Leia's stories in the comic books, which I didn't go into, like, she is going onto these planets and being like, oh, you're keeping Wookiees as slaves. Yeah. And then organizing ways to get Wookiees off of those planets. Yeah. Whereas it's like, that's something Catherine wanted to do yeah. and couldn't execute because it's not a fiction story. You no. have to get people on your side. No. And also you can write Leia as a person who is unproblematic and doesn't fuck up in really right. serious ways, right. like discriminate against the Jewish population because this is the whole thing is like real people are fucked up. Yeah. But you know, it doesn't change is women in power having a hard time with relationships. If they are in heterosexual relationships with other men, like men have a serious problem typically with being with a woman in power. Yeah. And I felt like too, that the men in these stories were so wily. Yes. I oh my God. Get over it. I mean, even Luke, who I, like, I don't give Mark Hamill as much grief as some people do, but, like, he is not a likable character. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, he doesn't even say it, but, like, there's a cute picture of them talking, and it's like, oh, your whole family and planet just exploded? I'm feeling sad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, but he did, honestly. He just lost his aunt and uncle who raised yeah. him. So mm -hmm. it's, like, similar situation, but he... So whiny uh, yeah. in comparison to just like the powerhouse that she is. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting because I think that they do have a lot of love to give. <laughs> and I don't know, obviously, the Han and Leia relationship. There's like, we don't get into the real nitty gritty of like why they split up. But like, I would venture to say that like, it's because he felt second to her greater duties. Maybe. And yeah, he we has don't a know. lot to do. And then he has a lot to do, too. Then their son went to the dark side, which is interesting because they have son issues, too. Lot of generational issues. Right. <laughs> Multi-generational issues. Like, yeah. you're losing Ben Solo to yeah. the dark side, which, because you were getting him trained as a Jedi, which you thought was a good thing. And we see history repeating itself. You know, we see that, like, even though... Leia is totally removed from her parents and like the fact that her father went to the dark side, you know, history does have a way of repeating itself no matter how hard you try to stop it. Right. Obviously, like we see Catherine making the same mistakes her mother did of like not acknowledging her kid and just like 
it's a weird thing of like more so investing in like the generation after, you know, like right. she's like, no, I'm gonna, it's just going to do them like grandkids, you know, like I'm too busy to have a real kid like right now, honestly. And like kind of ignoring her own child for, you know, it, I don't know. It's just kind of, it's interesting how they, there were mistakes or patterns repeated over generations in both stories. Yeah. And they both had this tomboy nature as kids, yeah. which was really cute to see, too. Like, I know we always talk about hating the word tomboy, but it really is the best way to explain it. Mm-hmm. When somebody doesn't fit the social roles of the time that you expect them to fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like they both had that nature. Now, yeah. was George Lucas writing that because it was like, that's what Leia needs to be or that's how women need to be to be accepted? Yeah. But... She was always, not always, she was in pants a lot when she was fighting. But when we see her, she looks royal a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so there is, there was always a a girly slash tomboy balance. And I think Catherine did that well. Oh, absolutely. And I also think that history and memory likes to focus on the scandalous or sexual. You know, I think about the fact that one of the big memories of princess leia is of her in the bikini and we the first thing you think of of catherine the great is that like she died fucking a horse and i want to connect these two things because you're missing the greater meaning of them right like you're missing the fact that like leia is supposed to be in pain yeah she is supposed to be a subject of humiliation and like just torture and the horse thing is meant to disrespect not just Catherine, but the entire country that's of right. Russia. Yes. And now that yes. we act as if that's fact, now that we act as if Princess Leia only wore a bikini, we are actively discrediting these women and the, the greater effect they have because they get narrowed down to one scandalous thing. Yeah. And it's so frustrating. It is. That's a great point. That's a great, great point. And I'm just sick of that happening to women all throughout history of like something that like wasn't even supposed to be a thing. And now it's like, you know, like nobody knows that Catherine the Great built schools for women. No. Nobody knows that she was a champion of vaccines and she saved a lot of people from fucking smallpox. Like people just know. That, like, she was a slut with a horse. Man. Yeah. That's insane. And then we think about Carrie Fisher, too. Carrie Fisher, who played Princess Leia, is, again, a a fantastic writer, an author, a great actress. Like, she had this incredible mind. And she is still narrowed down to that one scene. Not even Princess Leia. Just the bikini. Oh, people ask all the time. is completely narrowed down to that people so often are like was that you and she's like yeah, yeah that was me yeah i was also like a fucking teenager right like, <laughs> yeah god oh <sighs> well it's the people not in the bikini who get to write the history <laughs> <laughs> exactly are you ready to toast these women i'm so ready um ali who would you like to toast this evening mine is so simple i just want to toast to people like Leia who are telling other people that they're the only hope when she's yeah. literally the, the only, only hope. hope. Yeah. She's the story 
is based on her life yeah. and how she saved the galaxy. Mm. And she didn't think that of herself. Love and that's that. so like woman up everybody. Yeah. <laughs> think of yourself. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Um, I'm going to toast women who seize power. I think sometimes you just have to push an incompetent man out of the way. <laughs> just take it. Just take it. And I love that she took it. She took that fucking throne. And I love it because I do truly believe that, like, if she respected her husband and if he was doing a good job, she was like, she, I think she could have been like, yeah, we can be co-rulers. But, like, I want to say in this. But he wasn't that guy. So she's like, okay, I have to fucking do it myself. I'm sorry. Right, right. right. <laughs> so cheers to the women who sees. <laughs> All right. Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? I love Wordle. <laughs> I can't help it. I don't, I, I just don't get it. Like, it's, I'm sure if I did it, I would. play it like once or twice. But it like, you can only play it once a day, first of all. Okay. But... It's something we all do now. The four of us as a family, we text each other our results. So like you get to put in a five letter word Mm -hmm. and the letter turns yellow if it's the right letter in the wrong place and it turns green if it's the right letter in the right place. Hmm. So like if I put in house and the word was mouse, O-U-S-E would all turn green and then I would have to figure out what the other letter is in six turns. But it can be literally any five letter that word sounds crazy and, and impossible it's so fun because you, you like you some days it's like so much harder than others because it's a word like yesterday it was humor and like i already eliminated a and e and i and it was like there's not a lot of words with like oh, <laughs> i was like so stressed but the funny thing is all four of us text it to each other and it just it doesn't show the letters, just the colors. Right. And then we like sit down later in the night and compare our words. And it's like, oh, you put apple first, but I put, you know, trace and you put such and such. And this is how long it took us to figure it out. Oh, okay. Like Caroline's like today's word was pause. And it took me forever because I had a U.S. or like I had U.S.E. And I was like. anyway i i just it's a lot of fun as long as you're not constantly sharing it on social media stop (laughs) sharing it (laughs) unless that's your only people to talk to then that's fine but like share with your close (laughs) friends and leave the rest of us alone there you go (laughs) what do you have um so the reason i didn't bring this up in my story was because i wanted to promo it i'm gonna promo the great on hulu it is the show about Catherine the Great, and it stars Elle Fanning as Catherine, and it's so good. It's so good. It's also really fun that I got to watch it and then do the research because I was like, oh, that was true, and that wasn't. And, like, this character they made into this person, and that person they made into that character. It's like, now that you've listened to her story, go watch the show because – there are some things in the show, like they show the vaccine scene where she's standing up in front of everyone and she pours the fucking smallpox pus in herself and people are like, she's going to die. It's, and again, it's very out of order. Like it, like, and the way they do things is very different, but that's why they call it cat, like the great asterisks. 
like an almost true story. Like <laughs> I love it. I love that. It's so good. And Elle Fanning is so incredible in it. And the costumes are fantastic. So yeah, go watch the great. It's on Hulu. The first two seasons are out. They're going to make a third one and it's wonderful. <sighs> I love that. All right. Well, find us everywhere. We're so available. We'll do a very short patron after this because yes. we've been going for four and a half hours. <sighs> I feel like it is dry, <laughs> <laughs> but we have all, of the different social medias and the best thing you can do is rate and review us mm-hmm. and we're just having a blast and yeah. we really hope you like because these are two really cool women they are so thanks for sticking with us we know this was a long one if you had to break it up we totally understand um <laughs> but we hope you enjoyed and we'll see you next week and we want you to never forget that well-behaved women don't give people the middle finger ah, they don't <laughs> i almost do it every day and they rarely make history goodbye, goodbye. to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye